I've had a lot of couch time this time. I got Rocket League. So oh, much hey, fun. wait to wait for the crap. I don't think the cross-platform play is up yet. Not yet. But no. I will. I when that's up, it I will. I will we'll play. We'll play in some Rocket League. All right. It needs to come out on Mac on Steam because I would totally get in on that. I bought it for PC, but now I just I, I don't want to run crossover if I don't have to. So, so it was the uh, first time that I'd ever played it, and a buddy of mine because uh, I was waiting for. He's a big uh, Destiny player, so I got Destiny just to to play with him because we had. Uh, like we haven't had a whole lot of time to like catch up or hang out or anything like this is my college roommate and he lives in Florida now with his wife and this is kind of our way to to bond and you know catch up and everything like that um so while I was waiting for that to install we played a couple of matches of Rocket League and I I swear I pissed my girlfriend off so much because I was waking her up because I was like oh my god I scored with zero seconds left to tie the game it's like what wow. are you doing it's a great way to get pumped if I mean it for those who aren't familiar, Rocky League is a um, anywhere from one on one to I think it goes up to four. Yeah, four on four. Three on three is the best. Yeah, though. Th- three on three is, is the most popular. Where it is, it's team. You basically are teams of cars in a enclosed like soccer style arena with a soccer ball, and you have to use your car to score the goals. It's like the one episode yeah. of Top Gear where they did a site. I think they did a soccer episode. Yeah. They also did a hockey episode. Where yeah you're well they they uh, Rocket League does have a hockey puck uh, mm-hmm. on it too which is which is great did that yeah they? I haven't seen that not a lot of people use it we were only able to get two games on before no one else joined but the it I mean it's the same thing the physics uh, have got to be different though not necessarily so you drive the physics when you're driving are the same uh, but the puck stays flat it doesn't like roll and bounce as much yeah. but once it starts bouncing it's just like a regular hockey puck it's <laughs> like all over the place because there are some times where I'm like. Uh, I was going straight for the goal, and then I like bounced, and it like flipped over my car. That's fantastic. <laughs> you Craig Smithed, yeah, and uh, Rocket League. dude, so many times. <laughs> oh, that no, <laughs> so Craig, many times. Craig, you could you could rename that game to the Craig Smith Craig Smith Simulator, and you'd be pretty good. into a show that's already signed its entry-level contract and is already in the city of Nashville. This is the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lions Own Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Chris Link. He's John Garcia. I'm Dan Bradley. Uh, gents, um, so Nashville has been gripped with fear and anxiousness over one uh, over a certain uh, prospect in the greater Boston area. But other than that, um, I assume your weeks well, were okay, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think everyone knew that, that Peyton Manning was going to end his career here, and, and I think that's fine. Um, not a huge Titans fan myself, but, you know, it would have been nice for the state and the city. Or is that not what we're talking about? No, not at all. I think Peyton Manning's actually from Louisiana by way of Knoxville and then Denver. I don't, I don't know if he has any ties to Boston. You know, well, now that Dan's torpedoed my joke and my attempted humor. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Gotta keep it real. Gotta keep it 100. That's our 100 goal. Emoji. 100. To keep it 100. Whatever that means. 100 emoji, fire emoji, thumbs up emoji. There you go. <laughs> On that, though, um, how was your week? I know that there was no EPL this week. No uh, EPL. I mean, the, the 
the only game that I got to watch this weekend was a New York City FC game, and it was yeah. at Yankee Stadium. So you're yeah. watching a bunch of overpaid idiots play in the world's tiniest professional soccer field, and then you've got a bunch of fans that is, that, that imagine this is a great thing. Question. So so hold on. I know that unlike um, unlike American sports, the fields in soccer they can vary. The pitch lengths can vary. So mm-hmm. so is the as the pitch at Yankee Stadium just demonstrably different than elsewhere? I know that the stadium's configured kind of wonky, but well, obviously it's configured differently because it's it's in a baseball stadium. But right. yeah, it is um, just due to the necessity. It is the smallest legally size legally allowed field uh, in soccer. So how, so you cannot have small a, compared to other. I would have to pull it up, but you're losing several feet. I think mm-hmm. on both sides. Uh, I mean, you can tell if you're if you're a regular soccer watcher and you watch a uh, uh, New York City FC game. I mean, I've gotten used to it by now, uh, but people look at like, is the camera really really low or what? It's like no, the field is just very small. Uh, and the other thing to get used to is, of course, you is when they're um, attacking to the right on your television. Uh, they ha- they actually have to play on top of the top of the baseball diamond, <laughs> which is always very weird because you see this weird colored set of grass that's in the shape of a baseball diamond. Uh, it's always just hilarious and kind of embarrassing. Uh, but then again, they they New York City went out and signed a bunch of guys who can't actually run because they're so old. Um, actually, Pirlo never ran, but whatever. Oh, he, he's Italian. He doesn't really run. I mean, well, the Italian league's a lot slower league as it is. Yeah. So, um, but no, other than that, I I just consoled myself. I went to uh, Mickey's. Oh, for the first time yeah. on Friday. Yeah, that's right next to the hop stop. Yeah, so I went to Mickey's with some friends and and got to got to do that. It was, I mean, we went like right after work, so it was like two for one. Yeah, it's a tiny place. Uh, yeah. Well, it's not, yeah, it is tiny, but you know, I have the uh, have the math for you on this. The L.A. Galaxy, the play at the uh, I think it's about the Stuff Up Center now, something like that. It used to be the Home Depot Center. I had the maximum allowed field, which was one twenty by eighty. The most commonly was one hundred twenty yards by seventy five yards. New York City FC is 110 by 70. So essentially, if you want to tie this back to Nashville hockey, this is like the uh, the, the old Nashville Knights playing in the Municipal Auditorium who had to play at a... It was like the rink was so... The arena, the way it was constructed, it was like one of the smallest rinks in the uh, in the league at that time. So being hockey, that means like World War One style trench warfare and everyone's, you know, just beating each other to death. Hmm. So in soccer, I'm I'm curious to know because you know typically American players are a little bit bigger, but you know have more of a aerial header game. Does that change the game to the point where you want more of a uh, kind of a bigger lineup, a bunch of bruisers? It, or? Well, no, it, it really changes um, primarily how you're going to deploy your wingers and your fullbacks because they're not they just don't have as much space. So if you if you're a team that really bases it around uh, you know wide play, so a team. Uh, and forgive me if you're a fan of this team, I'm not 100% accurate. I don't do MLS analysis. Um, like uh, Houston Dynamo, who have really strong wingers and fullbacks, or even DC, or not DC, um, FC Dallas in the FC. The, you know what FC stands for? Football club. No, it stands for FC, Dan. FC Dallas, their name is FC Dallas. The FC stands for FC. Uh, it's embarrassing. Hmm. Um, embarrassing. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, but that's that's the MLS at least, uh, I think it's the Chicago who's the uh, who. There's a couple clubs that that gain my respect solely because they are like Columbus Crew soccer club. And I'm like, thank you. At least have some decency. Isn't the um, Chicago team the Chicago Fire? Yeah, they're they're yeah. Chicago Fire SC technically. Mm. That's their full name. Um, so, but I mean, to me, that's just like, hey, you know, let's have a team in Oklahoma City. We'll call them the Bombers. 
Oh, oh. Yeah, just like you're naming something like even unintentionally about one of the biggest tragedies that city's ever did, seen. Did that actually happen? The Chicago fire? No, no, the, no, no. Oklahoma no, City no, bombers? Okay. No. Yeah, that took me a second. Except, you know, one was a, you know, done by a, a cow that just got kicked over a lantern and the other one was by a, you know, Timothy McVeigh. Yeah, and one's a, actually, like, you know, a lot cow, recently. Uh, from what I understand, the cow thing has been debunked. I didn't know that. I actually I've just heard. Came I've heard it allegedly. Like that's the storied fable with yeah, it. Yeah, but, but it was more like it's just a fire. Mm-hmm. Fires happen. But I don't know even know what I was talking about. But yeah, the field is is small and it does change things to a degree. Um, but if if you're playing really direct, it encourages that because you can you can kind of have a, a direct attack. Uh, you just can't have as much lat. You're not going to see quite as much lateral passing because there's not as much space. Um, probably more tact. I I I would assume you would see more tackling. See, that, that that all that stuff always that always um captivates me a little bit because I enjoy the the whole strategy behind it. I love strategy that work. I love the uh, I like the fact that you people that uh, baseball teams build teams over to play in certain parks. That's mm-hmm. why the Giants win World Series every other year because of their ridiculous park. Uh, John, how was your week? Oh man, I didn't get off the couch, but like thrice. Did you uh, finish House of Cards, Daredevil? Uh, I finished House of Cards a couple weeks ago, but yeah, I watched Daredevil in two days, uh, maybe a little bit less than that. I think I just finished episode eight. Oh, that season is so good. So it was, like for me, the first season was paced a little bit odd where it kind of dragged in like the three quarters of it and then got better towards the end and you kind of knew what it was building to. Whereas the second season was cut up into bits where it's like kind of like comic book style where you have, you know, four episodes like with one story arc and then that kind of finishes and then you have another story arc, but they still kind of intertwine. And then that goes through to where you're building up for the finale that you don't know what's going to happen. I I got, I mean, I've I've always been a comic book fan, Marvel comic book fan specifically. I I like Daredevil a lot as a kid. And so, I mean, I just got to the, the, uh, the one where it ended with, um, and then the Yakuza basement, yeah, where where he's got the giant, and I was like, oh, yeah, they're bringing. I don't I don't want to like have any spoilers, but I'm like, they're gonna like they're actually like referencing that guy. Mm-hmm. That seems insane. And then I realized, oh hey, Marvel's filming a Doctor Strange movie. They've got to get some of this stuff up and going. Yeah, and that's what I'm waiting for is for when they they say that it's possible but they don't know how they're going to do it yet but i think they can do it as tie in the mcu tv with the actual mcu uh movies which would be phenomenal because the punisher is probably the greatest thing that i've ever seen like the way that they've done his character in this is amazing it's great because you know it's so hard to the psychology of the punisher is so is just really fascinating and I don't think any of the movies have really captured the psychology of no. it. And, well, and see, here's the thing. I actually do have a soft spot for the Thomas Jane Punisher. I enjoyed it. It's even actually if, good. That's a fun yeah, film. Even, it was, exactly. It was fun. Yeah. Um, and that was within when they were pumping out comic book movies like it was No Tomorrow. You had like Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider and stuff like that where most of them were terribly awful. But you get the sense where like you actually sympathize with the Punisher and like that, that monologue that he has at the end of episode four is just like one of the most heart wrenching things like you could ever, ever hear. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that John Bernthal is going to win an Emmy for this role. But it's just is something that you don't see from anywhere else. Yeah, he's one. He's actually. I was thinking just today. He's one of those really unique actors who is so associated with just action scenes mm-hmm. and being an action kind of player. But the character depth that he brought when he was on like The Walking Dead and he's brought to the Punisher, it's, it's uh, really fantastic it to is. see. I mean, he's just acting the hell out of that role. Mm-hmm. You got anything else done? Uh, I so played a lot of Dragon Age Inquisition. Like, I sunk so much time into that game. I've been playing Stardew Valley. All right. You're like, you're like playing, like, kill, kill. I'm like, I'm farming <laughs> eggplants. Yeah, well, you can do some farming in Dragon Age. You can, like, 
customize your base and everything like that. But um, uh, my my girlfriend got me into it, and it was it's just something that like I love those type of like RPG style things, and I've just been losing time. And it's like oh. Whoa! I've been playing this for five hours now. I should probably eat breakfast. Civilization effect. Eat breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I just you just went straight through the night. Sorry. I'm talking about comic books and video games. I get a little I get a little distracted. Oh, uh, I'm gonna tie back in. I actually uh, bought a uh, finally bought a video game on Steam for like the first. I, I can't do it for more than. Uh, I I, yeah, I, I see you on Steam. Yeah, my, my my screen name's pretty recognizable. Is this different from Civ? Yes, I actually bought yeah. uh, I bought Franchise Hockey Manager Two on Steam. Ooh. And. Um, my work with the Predators roster should probably get me a trophy of some kind. Have what? you signed Jimmy Vesey yet? Yes, actually, I did. <laughs> That's fantastic. Also, uh, I traded, let's see, Ribeiro, uh, Ponus Aberg, God bless Oberg, you, Dan. Um, <laughs> a few other pieces for, like, Boone Jenner. Um, I <laughs> nice. traded, um, yeah, I brought in Alex Galchenyuk. I forgot how I got him, too. Um, you just rescued him. So you've him. got a one-two of uh, Ryan here's where it gets better. Here's Alex where, Galchenyuk. Here's where it gets better. Uh, given that I there's this ridiculous amount of draft picks that that uh, you can trade all your draft picks if you want to, I managed to move up to the um, my, my team missed the playoffs by like a with get this a row point, um, <laughs> so I was in the lottery, and uh, I ended up trading up to the number two overall pick, and someone uh, forget who it was passed on Austin Matthews, so now I have Austin Matthews in my system. What I still have Kevin Fiala, still have Kamenev, still have Sissons, Watson. That doesn't seem possible. So well, do you have Eric Nystrom and Paul Gostad? Nope, I traded them too. Nice. Are trades easy to do in that? Uh, no, they're difficult. Okay, you have to you have to really go out and woo people. Like it's you can said to be pretty hard. You can also enable fog of war too. So <laughs> if your scouts aren't great, it's really good. It's only thirty bucks. Um, if you really want to just want to light hours of your life on fire, it's fantastic. And it's no games or anything like that. It's just simulation. Just simulation. And you can be doing other stuff in the background. Like I actually wrote a lot of the show today just pressing the finish day button. Yeah, I had the uh, first one. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that always held me up was how long it could take. Like, And maybe they've probably improved it by now, but the amount of time it took once you hit finish day, you'd just be like... Yeah, the old Eastside Hockey Manager now. was. It took so damn long. That was one of the worst hockey simulation games I think I've played. It's the only one that wasn't it. It was the only one for a long time. I still have the 2007 version somewhere. Wow, wow. Yeah, I just been, I've just been farming eggplants. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into this past week. Uh, we have a fun week to talk about. The Predators went three and zero this week and uh, ended up looking good in different ways in each game against the LA Kings. They had a Good first period, didn't look great. The second period, though, they took over and uh, weathered the King Storm in the third period, came out and uh, responded very well with the Johansson goal. It wasn't a perfect game. Now, if you told me that they were going to beat the LA Kings 5-2, to two, I expected, well, let's see, Rene's going to stand on his head and they're really just going to have a lot of puck luck. And That wasn't the case. They just played better than the Kings. Yeah, well, and I think it's one of those uh, quintessential games where, from especially in the first period, it was like the Predators mount, mounted an attack and the Kings withstood it. And then just a couple minutes later, the Kings started mounting an attack and the Predators withstood it. So it was very much two very, very good teams that are playing at probably their apex of the season right now, just trading blows one, one against another. Um, and the Predators came out on top. And they ultimately, like you said, did play play better. Um, and that's something to look for if they happen to be uh, the ne- next opponent in April. What I really loved about that game is I, I felt like um, I felt like this is true on on Monday and then on Saturday, maybe less than that Canucks game. Uh, the Predators were being very, very creative on the puck with zone entries with, with making plays happen. And so even when they were, if they were getting outshot or whatever by the Kings, 
they were they were the Predators were securing some really impressive scoring chances. Uh, every time they were getting the puck on net, it was a threatening opportunity, which is so key. They outchanced the LA the, the LA Kings twenty four to ten even strength. That's see that's yeah, that's, that's phenomenal. Impressive. I mean, it's one of those things that. If you look at the Corsi numbers, and it was like, oh, the Kings, they had a lead in Corsi, and they were clearly in control of the game. But then you start looking at the actual quality of the scoring chances, and you maybe even look at Fenwick numbers, which takes out those block shots, and you're like, oh, this game, like, that's why you have to, what, I, get, I get so sick of people just posting charts and things without analysis, mm-hmm. because... I had to bl- I had well, to unmute hockey stats key A's. <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, I mean, and that's a that's a thing that I've I've kind of been realizing as the season has gone on is like you know, Corsi stats and things like that on an individual game by game basis don't really tell you a whole lot. It's when you look at them as a whole, and you know, over you know a couple weeks, yeah. couple months, whole season, which is when they're really valuable. Yeah, but uh, yeah, e- exactly. And and I think we're we're at a point with advanced stats where we know we've got a whole lot of smart people doing a whole lot of smart things. But the analysis of it is either rudimentary because the models are still developing. So I'm not saying the quality of the writing or anything like that. It's just the models are are not advanced enough for the analysis more rudimentary or there's a complete absence of attempt to analyze. Mm-hmm. Uh, because everyone's trying... The biggest issue is that these people are trying to deliver their content over Twitter primarily because it's really hard to get people to read statistical analysis on a blog. Mm-hmm. And they want to try to drive traffic and drive interest. So it, we're, we're at a... A weird inflection point in the stats community, I would say, just kind of looking at, at how they're handling things, where analysis is and lagging behind. Yeah, and you also have to remember that a lot of the people who really pushed that uh, statistical analysis forward several years ago all got swallowed up by NHL teams now. So the big players in that aren't really aren't doing that anymore. So if you got people stepping up, and you know, there's no, some, no, they, yeah. they're doing a good work. I'm not yeah. talking about producing charts and things, but because. A lot of people are producing even better data than we had a year ago. Mm-hmm. The quality of the data is just going, 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 going up. It's sitting down and talking about not just is the because they're talking about the validity of the model, like right. how valid and right. measurable is like is this a valid, reliable model? And what we we don't have enough of, in my opinion, is the actual. Here's what's happening and we, what what matters. Yeah, and that's something because uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've seen some people going back and forth about you know them questioning each other's models and stuff like that. Oh, one of, one of the yeah, <laughs> yeah, stats wars. Yeah, it's 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 weird, but like one of the things I saw, which is something that we talked about uh, expected goals at the very beginning of the season, where you're looking like that, and the models that they use is everyone except for like three or four teams should have more goals. It's like, well, if the entire league should it be having more goals how reliable is that model yeah. nowadays and that's what i mean it, this is casting back yeah but you know when i was starting to talk about that the one thing i threw out is we have to watch this through the season because i've never seen this before right it's all historical data we have to see how it plays out the course of a season because and you know and i was i was getting really nervous about the model which is fine mm-hmm. um because for the longest time the predators were complete garbage but they were like top they expected to be top of the league top everything I'm like and then all of a sudden one week they went from being number one or number two down to being 14, 15th. Just literally one week it just dropped. Like, that's a correction that I wasn't... Ex- I mean, I expected to be corrected, but not right. like that. Right. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's, they're, they're really hitting a, an interesting point. I think in a, next year, a couple years down the road, we're, we're going to have a major breakthrough, I think, in, in hockey stats, and it's going to really boost analysis. I think eventually quality. scoring chances are going to get more... I think they should be... A, on a, maybe a bit of a higher pedestal than just raw Corsi. Because if you're just looking at shot attempts or Corsi against the Kings, uh, 
the even strength, it was three to two Nashville because Nashville had two power play goals, or actually one power play goal, and one empty netter, right? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, shot attempts for the Kings were forty-five to thirty-eight for Nashville, but again, the scoring chances were ten to twenty-four. Now, circling back to the scoring chances, um, Eric Nyström has put it back in the lineup for this game over Austin Watson and. Yours truly did not take that well. I, I was. You're, you weren't the only one. Yeah. Well, I did the radio show beforehand, and I was just so upset. I was comically upset. I, I dialed back on Twitter a little bit. Uh, actually, yesterday, um, I said something to the effect of, I can't wait till I cannot extend any more energy thinking about Eric Nystrom. Yeah. I, here's, here's the, of the 10 scoring chances the Los Angeles Kings had during even strength, how many of them came with the fourth line on the ice? All of them. Uh, I'm going to say six of them. Four of them. Okay. But when you consider how many minutes they actually played, that's a ridiculous amount of, of, uh, of time to, to allow that many. So I'm guessing 40% of all their scoring chances on even straight came within, what, like seven minutes? Just about, yeah. Not not a lot of time. Yeah, that's not good. And this is a, and I bring that up because Colton Sissons has a positive scoring chance for versus against number. Mm-hmm. He's one of the best on the team at that, at limiting the other team's scoring chances and generating those of his own. So, why this team goes back to the well of Nystrom, and that makes me worry that when Gossett gets healthy enough, they're just going to bump Sissons down just because he's the you know he's the veteran no, guy. There's a very real risk of that, and it's it's you know it's it's a cultural thing, and that's where I have to kind of throw my hands up because you hear a lot of like the color analysts and the and the guys. Well, this is the really this is the hardworking line with the hardworking guys. I mean, if you think guys like James Neal and Ryan Johansson aren't going out there and busting their ass and working hard every single night to do what they do, then you're lying. But there's there's a romanticism, if you want to even call it that. Um, I think it's more of an obsession or fixation on on that type of player. Yeah, and not only that, but you also hear like, oh, well, you know, they, they need this guy's uh, leadership on the ice and in the locker room and everything like that. I mean, these are professional hockey players. If they cannot, um, you know deal with the fact that someone is not in the lineup, then they shouldn't be playing the game at all. I mean, they didn't miss a beat when he was out of the lineup before. And, and if your captains can't figure it out without this jockey Joe or whatever you want to call Eric Nystrom on a bad day, then, uh, yeah, you've got Shea Weber and Mike Fisher. Who's, who else is wearing A's these days? James uh, Neal James, James and Roman Yossi. Okay, yeah. there There's a whole stable of captains. That tells me those are the leadership guys in the team. Those are the guys who set the voice. The other guy just hits the play button on the tape deck. And Mike Fisher works hard every single game. He doesn't always get the offensive numbers, but I will never criticize that guy's he was effort. On a tear this week. He was a demon this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that goal against the Kings on the power play may be one of my favorite goals in the history of this team. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, was, was I, was, amazing. I was laughing hysterically just because I was so surprised what happened. Just seeing him just dive out after getting his own rebound and especially the work that they did to create that chance to begin Rene with. Renee with the stretch pass. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, my favorite camera angle is the one that's actually behind like one of the 100 level sections so you actually see the back of everybody's head and arms raise it looked like it was a cult event <laughs> it was amazing As, just 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 you know what after just based on this week mm-hmm. give mike fisher the heart just give it to him yeah seriously i'm i'm okay with it <laughs> even though i think we'd all agree he already has plenty of heart yeah he has all the heart anyone could stand mm. yeah I have, yeah, gonna, no, I was. I, that was more. Hey, look at me making bad puns in a high five, John. That was pretty okay. excellent. Well, and, I mean, I'll take a high five. Yeah, it was, a, it was more of like a pity oh, high five. That was weird. <laughs> so, is your hands are warm? Thanks. They 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 can they finish strong against the Kings and they uh, they have all this momentum. Everyone's talking about how you know everything was great. You know, playoff style hockey, and they parlay that against uh, the Vancouver Canucks on Thursday night. They have a terrible start to that game. The f- the first period, 
That was uh, what was the name of that bad Super Bowl commercial? It was like Man Monkey Baby or something, Dog Monkey Baby. I know, I, still, I know, I still don't know what people. Talking I know what you're about talking that. about. It but was that ugly. I don't I, know what it is. Like it was Mike Ricci ugly. We called bad. that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we did. But we did not expect just. I mean, tie back to Mike Fisher. Mike Fisher was collecting skulls in the third period. He was just go out and he was just hitting everybody. It was like he's played for the Ducks. <laughs> he was just leveling everybody. And uh, he comes uh, after his shift ends. The Neil line comes out there. And uh, say what you want about James Neal. He's been a lot more consistent this year. Now, there was the kind of a lull they had recently with the, with the top line. But James Neal started it. Started yeah, he, a great comeback. He, through the court, he This week, he hit my goal for him. Yeah. I wanted him to hit 30 goals. I mean, it, current NHL setup, 40 goals score, scoring 40 goals is amazing. Someone it goes yeah, it, someone yeah. might not I mean, even hit 50 this this year. Yeah, I mean you've got like James Neal type players who are the elite scorers. Then you've got like the the unstoppables, which guys like Sagan and Ovechkin, and, Stamkos. And, you know, well, I, I would I would put Ovechkin on his own tier. Okay. Stamkos and Sagan and and you might even put like Crosby barring his always injury deals. Yeah, the guys who who are going to be amongst the the top 5 scorers in the league and then Alexander Ovechkin at the top doing whatever he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's but not Jamie really a term like for right there. Yeah, and I, I mentioned this on Twitter uh, on during Saturday's game when he got his 30th goal. But I just I remember all the hand wringing when he came over here saying, "Oh well, he's not playing with Evgeny Malkin, so he's not going to be nearly the effective player that he was before." I even saw some of the Pittsburgh writers saying, "You know, who would you rather have, Hornquist or James Neal?" They did like a stat comparison. I don't want to be like I, I like Mike Fisher, but James Neal is playing beside Mike Fisher last year, right? Not Evgeny Malkin. Not Sidney Crosby, Mike Fisher. And their power play was god-awful for pretty much the entire year last year. And that I think I wrote an article about this over the summer, but that cost him like four goals probably. Like if you yeah. had had his career um, shooting percentage and career numbers, uh, at, and that, if Nashville met those, he would have had easily four or five more goals. Oh, I love having James Neal on this team. And that's, I mean, you and I both have both discussed it, that he was probably one of my least favorite NHL players before the trade. And Hornquist yeah. was one of my favorite players yeah. on yeah. the team. Yeah. You know how many goals Hornquist has? One fewer than Craig Smith. Mm. Ooh, and, and Craig Smith is probably going to crack 20 this year. Speaking of Hornquist, uh, I saw early, uh, earlier this week he played his 500th game in the NHL. Does it not seem like he has played way more than that? 500 seems about right. I, I feel like, it, well, he missed a lot of time because of like various injuries and things like that, but maybe it's just uh, revin- revisionist history or like bad memory or something like that, but it feels like he's been around the team well, it, like in the NHL forever. Well, he was around for a while. It took him a little bit. He was a bit. You want to say he was a bit over age when he joined the Predators? Just not. I mean, not like significantly. He was on like a bubble, because um, he didn't join like as a as a young mm-hmm. buck. Because mm-hmm. he's like twenty nine right now. That's still five hundred games at that already. That's yeah, that's well, good. <laughs> Given the role that he plays, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's not. Like, I don't think he hits a thousand yeah. in the NHL. But I'm not saying it's not. I just for for me when I saw that I was like, oh, it feels like he's played a lot more than that. If Thomas Holmstrom can have a career that he did, I think Horquist can probably get to a thousand games. I, I don't know. I just don't know. Given today's in, in the today's NHL, though, given how teams are playing, he does spend a lot of time injured, said, though. And, and what have you said, Dan? The first thing that goes is the speed and the skating. The yeah. strength stays. So Hornquist is is reasonably strong, but he's undersized. Mm-hmm. But what's the one thing he's terrible at? Skating. He is a horrendous skater. So my my whole thing is at what point does he lose the legs enough where teams are just like you can't keep up? You, you only have one goal in there. You only have one job on the ice that's just to stand in front of the net. He's only going to be still able- if he's going to be the last guy who gets there. You have to hold up play until he can actually get there. True. 
I'm that's the only thing that worries me is, is the fact that I mean, he worked really hard and by the time he left Nashville, his skating had improved. But he's just he's that's his limitation, and unfortunately in the NHL that puts an expiration date. Good, I mean, f- for him at least he can do the dirty work and score some nice goals at the same time. But I mean, the the famous Hornquist struggled to get at the ice, get to the top of the face, so I can do a slap shot. <laughs> um, I mean that that encapsulates his style so much, uh, uh-huh. and that just tell that that worries me long jet long time and I, long time worries me long time <laughs> worries me long time worries me, yeah I worry about it, and this is someone who's got a Hornquist. Jersey upstairs, a Hornquist jersey upstairs. I mean, he, I, he was my favorite player until he left, and I still love him. So it yeah. hurts a little bit. But I, I almost, surreal, surreal I almost reality. bought a Hornquist jersey like two months before he got traded. You would have been proud to have that, anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was your reaction to uh, Forsberg's goal? Like your Im- immediate emotional? Yeah. How how hard was that? Because that was a that was a huge huge moment for this team. Are you talking about when he hit thirty? No, when when uh, Forsberg stole the puck to tie the game. Oh, um, elation! Just, just like I'm, I'm, I'm not reading too much into this game. Where like you know, this was a this was a game where they played just absolutely rotten for 50 minutes and then turned it on. Yeah, I mean, it was one. So I did this. I can tell you, and I just went like hands right up in the air because I didn't think that they were gonna do anything. I guess some of like, it is just undoing all the damage that they've done for the first like four mo- first three months of the season, and now, you know, since the beginning of February, they've been world beaters. Yeah, and at the same time, like I, I, as I just mentioned, I did not expect them at all to even get a point out of that game, and it was just like uh, coasting along, coasting along, coasting along. Okay, you know what, guys, we feel like we want a point out of this, and then they turn on the Jets for what seventeen minutes or something like that. Not even that. Yeah, and then tied the game, and then they got through overtime, which is all you can ask, and they're 4-1 in the shootout now. So Link, they got the first shot in overtime for the first time in a while. The shot actually got to the net. Dan. It didn't quite Dan, look Dan, like it didn't quite Daniel, look like special teams. Daniel play. Bradley. Sir. Daniel Bradley. How did the Predators win that game? Shootout. Okay. That's all I'm going to say about that. How did they not lose the game, though? They managed to, as they had a handful of other times this year, not lose in the 3-on-3 three three overtime, which... Was moral mainly victory because you know right how there. you know how the teams that they they go to the shootout against are the teams who are also bad at three and three overtime. That's the problem with three. That's the big <laughs> problem. Is when you have two teams that are bad at three and three overtime, they might as well just skip it because they're going to sit there and they're both going to try and play be in the power play and the penalty kill at the same time. And like the rest of the game, it was if you play a team that's in the sewer, you're going to get covered in something. It's like the Minnesota Wild. Uh, I've perfected this because they're another team that actually plays like they're on the power play and the penalty kill at the same yeah. time and over time. They actually do that regular and even strength too. I, That's yeah. a different I, story. I, I vehemently will believe that the Predators surviving to the shootout is nothing to be happy about. It's ha- it's great that they won and got an extra point, but it is no achievement to just survive three and three overtime no. with the record they have. Well, that and they no. lose the row point or they lose the row there anyway, which is they're not catching enough. Chicago anyways in no, row, so yeah. not, it, the damage is already yeah. done. But I, yeah, the, the, yeah, and I, I'm I don't even the three and three. It's it's too late to or even worry about it now. Yeah, the hand wringing on the three on three. It's it's um, I appreciate what the team tried to do by trying to dull that blade a little bit, but. I didn't. <laughs> I, you know, I, I at least admired the effort. How about that? I don't appreciate the uh, the tone because you know we're smart enough to know that hey, half of these points means that we could be challenging for the division. I just, I just still, I just dream of like they're like now time for the three and three overtime brought to you by Subway's carved turkey and bacon. I like. I really enjoy it. <laughs> 
bad. It was really good. I will, I'm going to get so much mileage out of that tweet from him. <laughs> oh, so it's like yeah. it's like somebody's like, "Don't worry, Roman. No one will think it's weird. It's super <laughs> weird. <laughs> it's super weird." And then uh, Saturday night happened. At one point, shots were 18 to one in the first period. It's unbelievable. I was about eight rows back off the glass on the attack twice side, and I felt so sorry for Corpusalo. And uh, some of it was his own doing because he wasn't catching anything. I've never seen a goaltender just have an aversion to using his glove. It's almost like his glove was pointing down at sometimes. He wasn't even his glove wasn't pointing out. It was like he was pointing towards the ice. I think you may have just cracked how we increase scoring in the NHL. We get rid of the glove. We just replace the glove with I don't know, like one of the the bang pistols the Joker would use or something. Like a boxing glove or something like that. <laughs> boxing yes. yeah, like that. Yes. So they can't catch it but they can they deflect can it, it like punch yeah, like, it out like, of like a like a like a soccer goaltender, you punch it back into play. Mm-hmm. There you go. Do you want to increase scoring? Make it make it even wackier than it already is. NHL, I'm ready for my royalty checks. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're hiring bloggers left and right, right? That's how this works. Yeah, put me in charge of idea generation. <laughs> we keep the nets, but we replace the pipes with candy canes. Actually, we how about we sharpen the, the, the post to a point on the end? That way, so if, posts, if pucks do hit the post, they actually can go in. No more skates. Everyone has parabolic skis. We're actually going to make uh, the NHL rink a bubble hockey rink, so then now they can get used to jumping it off the glass and everything. Fan, like that. Fans on the highest paying seats actually get to steer. <laughs> and no more offsides. Yeah. Bubble hockey eliminates We'll actually offsides. add in so we'll actually add in multiple offside calls so we can actually call it offsides and actually solve that problem once and for all. Yeah. We'll add multiple offsides. <laughs> if if you if you uh if you allow icing in bubble hockey, no games would ever get finished. No. <laughs> <laughs> how would you even Yeah. How did you even do that? And it's actually too easy to do in bubble hockey, that's the problem. If you had automatic icing, yeah, it'd be over. Um Columbus didn't look terribly motivated to get this game started. It almost looked like they didn't want to be there. I, I mean, with their season so far, would you? Like, they're basically just <laughs> they, they've gritting been through. Okay, though. They're, yeah, but at the same time, they know that so they're the not going to do anything. Okay. They're gritting through their last seven or eight games, or whatever, so that they can get hit the links or go to their sandy beaches or whatever else that they want to do and forget that the season even happened. I mean, you could tell they were getting a little bit frustrated towards the end of the first period, and Boone Jenner looked like he was just trying to fight everybody at one point, but. Other than that, this team did not look motivated. Um, Talk about the game that Mike Fisher had. Did you see by chance see his advanced stats for that game? Uh, he was something like uh, 93% uh, shot attempts for, right? Yes. Mike Fisher, again, was like, once again out there collecting skulls and just being like the, you know, the, the evangelical crusader that he is, just destroying Columbus. I had, I had so much fun watching him play. Uh, Joe Hansen was like having more fun than everybody on the ice. This was a great one to so, go see live. So I just I was curious. So I just pulled open the um, one of the war and ice charts, mm-hmm. and even the bottom fourth line was absolutely dominant on the ice. I mean, Eric Nystrom like finished with positive Corsi, per, like a positive Corsi percentage above fifty percent. Make a wish. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Columbus was so out of it. But how was I? Since I wasn't there, uh, for you know, yeah, whatever reasons. Um, how? What? What was? What was the? I didn't. Ex- I honestly did not expect a Seth Jones tribute video because. Oh, I did. Uh, really? Yeah. It, had, it got a very good. We got a good reaction. I mean, well, no, I'm sure it got a great reaction. I mean, mm-hmm. fans in Nashville are very passionate about their players, and they like to have attachments to their players. And and Seth Jones was obviously very popular, and he was a very good. player. But it's not like he was around for that long. No, but I mean, I think that with the uh, marketing that they put into him, and the fact that he was number 
four overall pick and that he had you know several highlight reel goals and just the fact that he was uh, active in the community and a, a very outspoken young gentleman and he was he was yeah. very well liked here I mean that's you know absolutely yeah, do well, that. don't get me wrong like I think he deserves it yeah. I was just a little so I just didn't expect it right I'm okay with it because like you said that they uh, they put a lot of effort into marketing this guy when the Predators were at their darkest moment a few years ago this was the guy that was like you know what it's okay we've got our next generation ready to go it starts with Seth Jones and Philip Forsberg and now that you know that now that he's gone I think it was kind of a good gesture to show kind of the some of maybe some of the more casual fans of hey you don't need to hate this guy it's not like he underperformed because because you know being a kind of a newer sports market when you when you hear someone's been traded it's like oh well he was never no damn good anyways. Yeah, you know? and it was I always found it fascinating the divisiveness of Seth Jones uh in the National Predators fan base because some some I guess it was just because he was so young but some people expected him to be so good so fast but at the same time like you look at this and like no he wasn't a terrible player no he wasn't traded because he was bad he was traded to open another window for longer for this team and ultimately it's better uh for Nashville in the long run. It also, I mean, it it it, uh, it doesn't help that hockey fans are mostly dumb. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I, well, most sports fans are generally dumb as it is. Yeah, you, 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 you no. could take someone with uh, with you know a PhD in in chemical bio uh, biochem. Sorry, I did yeah. that backwards. And and just stick them in a hockey arena. They start banging the glass like an idiot, shouting "shoot, shoot!" when the team's on the PK. I mean, it doesn't take much for some reason. Uh, hockey's one of the toughest sports to predict because of all the randomness that goes into it. And we're not talking about a perfectly cylindrical or perfectly uh, spheric, you know, ball. We're talking about a hockey puck that's on ice that's uneven. A lot of things can happen. So just as a it's true. metaphor there. Um, as a whole, though, there's nothing really to complain about this team. I mean, the Rene's one goal was kind of weird. Whatever. You know what happens. I think he just wasn't... I, I, I think he for, for, forgot that uh, Columbus could shoot the puck. Yeah, I honestly thought, like, you know, man, he's just he's just chilling back there. He was doing so many stretches. <laughs> I, I, I've never seen the guy, you know, actually stretch out more during a game. Maybe it's just maybe something he's doing more this year, and I was paying more attention to it, but... Uh, you know, he probably wanted to stay, stay limber or something like that. Yeah. It's something that you can't see on, on TV. Yeah, there was no complaints. I, I was glad to see Johansson have a good time. I mean, he seemed like he was out there having fun. Um, what did you guys... I know that someone got taken out of context. Uh, she <laughs> did a good job of clarifying it, but I did see a lot of people, you know, at us and say, what do we think about the uh, about Ryan Johansson telling Aaron Portsline that uh, he wished he he wish he'd remained a Blue Jacket and wished that the, the trade never happened? He later went on and said that I didn't like how we... You know, I didn't like the fact that, I had, that that was the result of our poor play. I didn't take it to anything to... No, I think More it's. I, I mean, wait, is that said explicitly? I've read some about like quotes from him, but not. I didn't see the one that said, "I wish I was still a Blue Jacket." I'll, I can pull up the exact quote here. Because I remember one saying, "Like you know, I saw the normals. Like I loved being with the team. I, I kind of wish it hadn't ended like it yeah, did." Yeah, and that's that's what I took it as. It's just like he yeah. liked where he was at, and you know, it's one of those things that you know, like, hey, you know, I I, I liked where I was, and you know, just kind of one of those things in the spur of the moment. Yeah, he said, when like, "I loved being a Columbus Blue." I, he says, "Like I genuinely loved being there." And I mean, I, I've I've read through all those, and I thought it's like this is this is a guy who really cares. Who this, the the reality of of the hockey world and and the way things go made him leave a city he liked being in, the team he liked being on. But he accepted it clearly. He obviously accepted it. He was excited to go to a, a playoff quality team. Uh, he clearly saw the opening and the role he was expected to play. He knew it was a very challenging role that they were he was being asked to step into. And he, he very much, it seemed to me, that he embraced it and jumped in and has been having a great time. I got the wording here. He says uh, when he's asked about uh, 
he's asked about uh, playing for the Blue Jackets. And he says, quote, I'll say this. I wish I was still a Blue Jacket. And then he paused for a moment, according to Portsline. Let me make sure I'm wording this the, the right way. I wish we didn't start the season 0-8. I wish we were in the playoffs. I wish we had a great year. I wish we were still together. But that's professional sports. I love more than anything else in the world being a Blue Jacket. But now I'm here. Since they didn't believe that I could be a big piece of the franchise at Columbus anymore, I love being an Asheville yeah, Predator. There's there's complex there's a lot of complexity to that statement, and it's really easy to take what he said out of context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because this is a team that drafted him, that developed him, that he made his friends, he, his home, his friends, his he had life. A Columbus yeah. Blue Jackets basketball court, yeah. his yeah. home in he, Vancouver. He, I mean, he just believed in the team really hard, and and you know, you, he started something with that team. It did not work in their favor. They continue to struggle. They continue to get injuries. It continue to be a mess. Yeah. And he and they moved him. Yeah, and what I liked about that too is because I mean you can uh, if just from reading that tweet or reading that quote, and I'm glad that Portsline you know put that pause in there, which is why he's really great at what he does. You can see the gears turning in his head. Just be like, okay, so I just said something that's probably going to take it out of context. Let me backtrack and say it like this because you you do understand where he's coming from, and he said all the right things when he's at like in Nashville, and you can just tell that he enjoys being here. One thing I like is that also and there's another guy from BC, another guy from you know British Columbia, that Vancouver media market that's just, this is just ferocious. As now we have another guy who's fully aware of how things are going to get taken out of context from BC, like our captain Shea Weber. Except, Ports, except uh, Johansson's not afraid to at least answer a question. Mm-hmm. I mean, Weber is such an introvert, and that's just kind of who he is as a person that you know he would never even answer that question. Well, yeah, that's you know, I, I would love to hear what him. No, yeah. I just that whole thing. It, I think it was a player being honest, uh, mm-hmm. recognizing that uh, as much as as pro athletes can get maligned for being about the paycheck and being about their name on on a jersey, you know, a lot of those guys they draw, they get attached to the fans and to the city and to their teammates. Uh, and I'm sure there's people listening to the show who who maybe were angry or, or disturbed by the Johansson quote. But ask yourself this: if your company with you having no control, shipped you halfway you know, across the country to a different area, how excited would you be? I wouldn't be excited. I mean, let's say like my company, which is also has an office in Chattanooga, like if they said, well, hey, I mean, Dan, no, literally, it's, it would, move it, you to Chattanooga. You'd be doing no. the same job at a different company. They just said you're working for them now. Yeah. You, have to move, you have to move to Omaha. You're going to work in the same field for a different company. I'd hate it. Because I have all, yeah, I have you I, guys. I have, you know, well, all this, yeah. like yeah. Nashville. And there, there, some people are like, oh yeah, I'd love to move to well, I mean, okay, well, let's say your family can't move with you right away. It has to be immediate. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into making these moves very difficult in the players. I'm just going through this article. I'm I'm, I'm seeing some things I didn't see before. Right? We're talking about John Tortorella. I'm disappointed I couldn't get to him. I tried different ways to get to Joey. He's a good kid. I'm disappointed in myself. I couldn't find a way to get the most out of him. Mater, maybe uh, Peter Laviolette is going to get more out of him in Nashville. He's not mine anymore. Wow. Tor- okay. Here's the thing about John Tortorella. John Tortorella is what in the modern hockey world is called a bad hockey coach. He's he's not good at his job. He's been bad for a while. He may have once been good at his job, but the league has changed in such a way that has made his style of coaching a team ineffective. Who cares what he says? No, I, <laughs> I mean, when when the media even bothered, to, like when the whole like, oh, he had a twenty two. Like even this morning, I'm reading his quote was twenty two seconds. Like John Torrell has been doing this his entire career. This is not interesting or novel. This no. is him continuing to be a jerk to the media because he's mad and he can't be professional enough to talk to the media. What did you sign up for, John? 
Yeah, I mean, you're coaching the Columbus Blue Jackets. You're co- you're coaching one of the, and this isn't a, I believe a fault of the Columbus Blue Jackets organization itself at this point because they've at least thrown money at their problems. They'll go out there and the general manager though has they actually managers plural because if you look at the all traded from Columbus team and he would probably beat any version of the Blue Jackets ever. And it's an all star team. Yeah, like Jake everyone from Jake Voracek to now Ryan Johansson. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. They've had terrible luck with trades and. This is what you signed up for, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, sometimes reporters, press, bloggers, et cetera, who have media access will ask questions that you, the coach, may think are, are foolish or dumb or pointless. Well, guess what? It's kind of their job to report what's going on, and so they're asking these questions because they think it's important to the story. They have to go home and write for their job. So it's your job to be a media presence on behalf of the team. By being pithy and curt and rude or et cetera, you're not fulfilling your end of the contract. You're putting on a show while at the same time saying, I'm not going to put on a show. And was it Stu who was praising him for not... I can't remember who. It might have been the post-game show. Um, they, who's getting praised? Like, oh, yeah, well, he knew that if he stayed, he said something stupid. I'm like, if he can't control himself in front of the media to say something stupid, how is he a, he, he a coach? He, he's already gotten fined $50,000 for doing that crap. He has. And I, that's why it's amazing. We talked. We made jokes with this before, but if you have NHL coach on your resume, you can get a job as an NHL coach. <laughs> Did you put that on your resume? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I should have. Bad yeah. you are. You can get a job. I mean, it is well apparently except for Pierre Maguire, but that's a special case. I don't want to seem like I'm overly kissing up to Aaron Portsline, who I think most of most people would agree is one of the deans of the B writer world. Mm-hmm. Like Aaron Portsline's been covering the Columbus Blue Jackets for a long time since they started. Since they started, actually, the the Columbus Post Dispatch, uh, talking about them real quick, they actually have a three headed monster as far as covering that team goes. For a small market team, very few small markets cover their team better than the Columbus, Ohio newspaper, the Columbus, Ohio media. And to see his to see his how he how John Tortorella is reacting to a pretty low pressure situation in Columbus. It's pretty damning about his personality, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, we could probably go back and, you know, spend an entire show looking at the faults of John Tortorello, whether it's his uh, tirade in the media during the 2012 playoffs, I think it was, whether it was him trying to fight. Um, Brooksy. Uh, uh, yeah. No, no, no. I was going to say uh, trying to fight um, Bob Hartley. Oh, yeah. Um, in the Flames. Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Hartley probably would have kicked his ass, too. Yeah, just, <laughs> Yeah. I just uh, Brian I, Burke would have gotten involved. He would have been like, "We're going Brian, to a barn Brian Burke right now." Would have taken the tie off. <laughs> it's already off, son. <laughs> oh, oh, he's dropping the tie. Oh, so, that's so we can wrap it around his knuckles, real yeah, quick. Yeah, there you go. It yeah. doesn't slow him down. Three and zero for the week. Uh, they're now still two points back uh, from Chicago at the current moment. Chicago's playing tonight against Vancouver, um, so chance for maybe for after maybe to get a little bit lucky there. They're still solving the number one wild card spot, even in spite of Minnesota winning a few games in a row. Uh, they can clinch a playoff spot on Monday night if the cards fall wow. right. Um, and we're still waiting on Jimmy Vesey, which we'll talk more about that in the second segment. Even we've beaten that topic to death. Still, we've got to. We have to talk. We can kick. We can kick it while it's down, though. Yeah, we can. We have to talk. Anyone about follows it. me on Twitter knows I'm happy to do that. <laughs> so, hash brown Vesey watch. <laughs> nice. That was, that was well done. That was Reference well done. game on point. Um, you know what? Let's get some uh, comment section questions out of the way because we have more from Twitter. Uh, then we'll get that out of the way. Then we'll go and take the break. Let's see what we have here. What do we want to start with? We've got our audience somewhat trained, so we only got three, though. 
RAW182 writes in, has the success of line number two led to line one success? Earlier it was line two scoring, the Ribeiro line scoring, and line one was pretty quiet. I have, uh, He says, I haven't looked to see who these lines have lined up against defensively, but it seems that, but it seems, ha- what? Okay. But I, defensively, but that has been a part of the oscillation in terms of scoring. I think some oscillation. of that. Oscillation. Oscillation, yes. Interesting. I Strong think, use of the word. Yeah, I think he's right about um, <laughs> like the, the, the wall fans. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's right about. I think he's touched on something here that the home that uh, on this home stand the top line's been been going more, where you control the matchup a bit more. I think that uh, knowing that just the top line is much more of a two way line than line number two because Ribeiro is not as strong defensively as the top line with Neil and Yarncroak. Um, you're going to well, see the top line deployed more on the road against tougher competition than at home. Well, I, I also think on the on the road, the coach is going to have the advantage to be able to match his personnel to the top line. So he's always going to almost always going to be able to get his choice line out against the Predators' top line. So that puts added pressure. Whereas at home, Lavulette can get his guy out there against weaker competition with the, with the last change. So that's a major major advantage. Uh, but beyond that, I don't know how much it has to... I, I would think it was a matter of time, home, away, or not. Uh, there's, seriously, there's Predators have two really strong top lines. I mean, they have a true pairing of top lines. Yeah, and on, on top of that, so you had, you know, for a little while, uh, the best de- uh, defensive competition going on Johansson's line. Uh, so they were going to be stifled with that, and that allowed what we think, uh, as far as what we speculate, the Ribeiro line to really open up and score. Now... Because of that, you have coaches that realize, okay, you've got two very effective scoring lines. We have to figure out a way to uh, to kill both of those. So that spreads their defense thin. It's, you can't just go after one and call it a day. You have to think about two big lines there. And then you have an effective fourth line with Colton Sissons. And then the third line who's doing its work. So it puts a lot more effort on coaching. So if they're playing a team that maybe doesn't have the strongest coaching, that's going to be a problem for the other team. Case in point against the Los Angeles Kings, the Ryan Johansson line. How much? How many minutes do you think Ryan Johansson played against the Andre Kopitar line? At even strength. Even strength. Uh, Eleven minutes. No, far less. Really, under two minutes. Wow. Ryan Johansson was on the ice against Andre Kopitar. Mike Fisher though, five and a half minutes against Kopitar. So when you're at home, you're right. You mean the 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 writer is right there. Control the matchup. Mike Ribeiro played five and a little over five minutes against Vincent LeCavalier. Then you don't play defense. <laughs> he barely he barely play hockey. He barely play hockey right now. Johansson played more minutes against Tanner Pearson than he did right than he did against uh, Kopitar. Strong. So, excellent, excellent question. Uh, Titans, Preds, Grizzlies writes in. George writes in. Let's call him George. That's sooner. That's quicker. Yay, George. In which game will For- or Forsberg break uh, Arnett's record, and how many times will Joey kiss him afterwards? Uh, Johansson won't be on the ice with Forsberg unless it's a power play. So. And the Predators don't really score in the power play. Uh, well, well I no, mean, the defense can, scores. You could be kissing them on the bench. or uh, The defense scores in the power play. True. Yeah. The forwards don't. If the forwards do, it's usually like Craig Smith on a rebound. Then that That's fine with me. That's how Craig Smith likes him. Yep. Um, I'm going to say against San Jose. If, I think it may be like the last game of the year. I mean, it, I'll give him a little bit of a buffer. I think because yeah. he's got to get to 35, right? Yeah. That's like a uh, week 34. And a, well, he has about oh, breaking, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. Three you're right. away. Um, yeah, so 34. Um, yeah, I could totally see him doing that. That's in like, uh, it's like five games away, I think. I could see him getting three goals in five games. I think it's possible. 
Uh, last one from the comments section. What are the odds that both James Neal and Philip Forsberg both get to 34 goals this season? That's by High Plains Predator. Ooh. I'd say about... I'd say, uh, I'm going to say uh, 50%. 50%? 50%. I'll go 51%, Bob. Who do you... um? Who's going to finish with a higher total? Because even though Forsberg had the more had the more impressive run, Neil's been more consistent over the last few months. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that Forsberg's probably going to do that, so I'll hitch my wagon to him. Um, I think he's going to break the record and go a little bit beyond that. And um, I think Neil will hit will touch thirty four. Um, I don't think if he does, though, I don't think he's going to go far beyond that. I'm going to hitch my wagon to John's wagon. Gotcha. They're playing against, let's see, the Avs, Stars, Penguins, Sharks, Avs, Coyotes, Stars. Not a whole lot of defense remaining. No. I, I think it's a pretty good chance that at least one of them gets to 34. But asking for two, eh, eh, that's a 50%. It, I think 50% is about fair. I want to go back uh, at some point because during the, the very beginning of the season, we had a prediction piece, and one of the questions that was asked was how many goals is a top line going to score um, or something along those lines. So we should go back and see... Uh, how close everyone is for that. You know what? Some of that question is going to be null and void because the top line at the time was um, the second line. Yeah. That's, man, just think about that for a second. The top line this year, uh, the start of the season is now officially the second line. We, at, actually, it may have been uh, Forsberg and Neal. It was something along the lines of like, how many people are, how many yeah. goals are these two going to score together or something along those lines? I just, and it doesn't have to be anything scientific. I'd just be curious to see who got lucky and how close everyone were, how far off they were. All right. We'll check that out. Well, you know what? I'll see what I can do on the other side of the break from this. Uh, well, that'd probably be like more like a week project, though. But, yeah. Uh, all right. Um, anything else uh, about the Predators week before we uh, touch the break? No. No. Let's touch that break. These days, you need a partner current and latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Welcome back in. Got a lot of Twitter questions uh, to get started with, so uh, not going to waste any time with them. Uh, Ken Preds the Cap writes in: uh, Who will be the first assigned long term? Forsberg, Johansson, or Neil? Now Forsberg is an RFA at the end of this year. Both uh, I think Neil is an RFA at the end of next year. Or pardon, not Neil. Uh, Johansson an RFA at the end of next year. 
Neil's contract, I believe, comes up uh, before too long, right? It's three years, three three more seasons, yeah. two or three more seasons. So yeah, so I mean, it's kind of the the end. It kind of answers itself because Forsberg is going to be the first one. You know, Poyle's going to try to lock him up for as long as they can. Yeah, but it, if you're Forsberg, would you not want a bridge deal? Because if you want to bet on yourself, maybe it, getting a bit more. Well, we, okay, you, if if you've scored what? He, how many goals did he score last year? Twenty. Twenty. 26, 27? 26, 27. This year, he's on pay, he's third, scored 31, may, may set this goal-scoring record. You've established yourself as a elite-level scorer. Unless you're planning on putting up Ovechkin-like scoring numbers, you're probably going to be in a position to get the money you want to get now. Yeah, he's he's basically going to do the Tarasenko where, like, hey, I've scored this much, I'm worth this much if you want me around. And because I think that'd be even more advantageous to... to uh, Poil as well to get him locked up and eat some UFA years and everything like that because that's basically what you're going to be paying for because dudes what 22 21 yeah 21 so you've got him for I mean yeah. he's going to be in his prime for the foreseeable future so if you get him to a seven eight uh, year deal he's still going to be at the end of that when that deal ends if if Forsberg somehow ends up anywhere near arbitration this year. I will find David Poyle's car, and I will stuff his gas tank full of stale marshmallow piece left over from Easter. I wonder if that'll like actually like caramelize and like become like melted sugar, and then ruin his car. Yeah, that's mean. Like I, style. It, it's not even. It's just like if if you can do something so stupid, I'm going to do something really stupid. Yeah, he knows that he's he's going to be getting paid. He knows that he's going to have to front that. And at the beginning of the season, like a bridge deal looked like it might be something because it looked like he had hit that uh, that sophomore wall. It looked like teams were adjusting to him better. And then he turned around and adjusted and be like, oh, hey, you know the player that you thought that I was last year? Well, I'm every bit of that good of the player you thought and more. And, and he popularized the butt check, the reverse butt check. He reminds me a little bit more like um, trying to find someone to compare him to. Jamie Benz probably got maybe more of a natural score, whereas Forsberg's more of a playmaker. But both of them play on the penalty kill. Both of them are just are good two-way wingers that you can roll out there in any situation. And you have to keep a track of where they are on the ice at all times. Um, looking at Jamie Benz's contract, I think, yeah, I agree with you guys. that. And plus, you have Tarasenko, who's kind of established the ceiling as far as how much that particular player can get paid. Um He's not going to touch Tarasenko money because he's not a 40-goal scorer. Mm-hmm. So this does come at a good time for them. Um, as far as Neil and uh, Johansson goes, Johansson's going to get a, a similar deal, I believe, the year after. Um, and then you have Neil the year after that, who uh, James Neil will be over 30 at that time. He'll be an unrestricted free agent. You're kind of at a crossroads at Neil at that point, but you've got him for t- you've got him for two more years after this, kind of see where he's at you know, going forward. But given how well he's played and given what kind of attitude he's brought to this team as far as just the skill set he has, I really don't want to lose that guy. Yeah, and, and we also have to watch and see what happens with the cap and, and with kind of the finances, the economics in the Canadian-U.S. market in between now and then. Because two years could have a notable impact on the amount of space the Predators have to put out those those deals to lock down the important players. Yeah, especially given whatever free agents they might or may not sign and whatever the prospects do. Like if Fiala starts to become like a 15-goal scorer or 20-goal scorer or something like that, that could play into that. So, I mean, there, there are a lot of uh, variables with the James Neal signing, but as of right now, it looked like it'd be good to lock him up for, I don't know, he'd be over 30, so maybe like a three-year deal, two-year yeah, that's deal. That's what Thomas Vanek took, is a three-year deal to get him in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And plus, you know what you have coming in with guys like Colton Sissons, Kamenev, uh, Fiala. Guys are going to be on entry-level contracts or, or very short-term bridge deals. So you know they're going to be replacing guys like Ribeiro and Fisher 
with cheaper players. So you can afford to maybe spend a little bit more on your top end of the roster yeah. as long as they're producing. And yeah. I don't really see Neil with the type of game that he plays really slowing down that much. Uh, Cody Holland, uh, one of our friends from 303, writes in, what is your default hash brown toppings when at Waffle House? Ooh, okay. Smothered, covered, chunked, and peppered. For those who are not uh, Waffle House. Okay, so familiar. smothered is with cheese. Mm -hmm. Covered is with onions. Chunked is with uh, ham chunks. And then peppered is with uh, jalapenos. So put those all together, sprinkle a little bit of Heinz 57 sauce on it, and you are golden. I only do well. I only do the cheese and the onions with a little bit of um, a little bit of pepper sauce on it, some black pepper. See the uh, the ham that they put in are not, they're not very big pieces. They're just good enough to get that flavor in it. Like Denver omelet style. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then I I, I always love uh, some heat with my with my food. So like I always use hot sauce. If I can put jalapenos on something, I will do it. Um, I don't do pickled jalapenos too well though. It's my really? problem. No, I, 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 I like a little them. too much vinegar is not quite good for me, but just. I like I love some good old like chili pepper style hot sauce. Yeah. So if I can, so if there's a way I, I could smuggle like a little thing of Valentino with me everywhere I go, <laughs> I would totally do that. Yeah. No, I was getting educated by what the, all those things meant. Oh no. Have you never had Waffle House hash browns? Uh, it has probably been. Once you smothered, once you covered, like ten my years. Waffle House hash browns. Maybe ten years. I don't honestly. I cannot even remember. I want to go to Waffle House this week. Yeah, I mean, once you, you know, I mean, you see the gifts. I mean, that's real. That's yeah. all 100% real. I tried to uh, talk my girlfriend into going this weekend, and it didn't happen. There's just one just right down the street, so. Oh, There's man. always one right down the street. Yeah, always. Are you talking about the one on, uh, which one? Uh, Lebanon and Old Hickory. Lebanon and Old Hickory. The one, like, right by me on uh, Old Hickory on the west side of town, it burned. Huh. Really? Yeah, so there was a tweet I put about uh, last week of one of the Kentucky band members who was crying when Kentucky got bounced out of the playoffs or bounced out of the tournament. I was actually in Bowling Green. So, Link uh, is a soccer analogy. Imagine being in Scotland when uh, England gets bounced from the World Cup. That was the reaction <laughs> when Kentucky got knocked out of it's, the NCAA it's tournament. It's funny, though, because when I went to school at Western... Every it was there were so many uh, UK fans and so many UFL fans. It was like the people who supported Western Kentucky like went there, but they also grew up either with the red or the blue. So, yeah, it, yeah like the the Hilligans mm -hmm. during the NCAA tournament filled with blue, just nonstop. Might all the UFL people go to overtime? Or? No, they go there, but just you know, if UK's or if UK's playing, that's ah. that's where that's where they are. Okay, okay. Uh, what do I want to go with next? I'm going to go with uh, Hunter Armstrong uh, writes in. With uh, Dave Starman pretty much letting everyone know that VZ wants to go to Chicago, allegedly, uh, he asked what the prospects are about trading Jimmy VZ. It's not going to happen. Who's going to give up a draft pick for someone who they don't know if they're going to sign or not, or they yeah. can just have him for free? Yeah, I don't I don't think that's... Yeah, a, I mean, I, I, I know what the... the I, who's asking the question? Um, Hunter. Hunter. Okay, I, I know what Hunter was asking. Because he, I, I think, in what he was thinking, rather, because um, going back, when you have an RFA and you don't, you're not confident the RFA is going to sign, or if, or if, I mean, like a UFA, you don't not confident sign. You try mm -hmm. to trade them. I mean, what, what the Predators yeah. and Poyle do with Dan Ham used a few years ago, that sort of deal. Uh, you know, the big problem there is that there's just, there is even less leverage than in, an, in a UFA deal, <laughs> um, because it's not even a first shot. The guy doesn't even have to talk to you. 
especially with with the the cloud that's kind of hanging over VZ's head. I'm sure we'll talk about that later, so I won't go into detail. But it just there's there's so little value there that you're basically trading him for peanuts. Yeah, and to, and to give uh, Hunter like an idea of the value. So generally, when that happens, you're looking at a seventh round draft pick or like a conditional sixth round draft pick. Um, you know, if, if they if he signs or something along those lines, so it's not going to be anything. It's basically just going to be a uh, you know a, a shot in the dark. And you would rather all. take the risk even just to get the player in. Mm-hmm. You would rather just you know what? What's a six round pick anyways? I mean, what are the odds that that player is ever going to play a hundred games in the NHL? Very very low. Elizabeth writes in. How do you feel about our goaltending situation going into the playoffs? Is Pekka Prime really back for good? I, feel I hope so. Fine, I guess. I don't. I'm. I'm always a little nervous with the whole Hutton thing, uh, and and Pekka, I just get so scared he's gonna get hurt. It just feels like a real risk to me, though he's been playing solidly and consistently, which is all I can ask for. Yeah, I mean his his track record over the past couple of weeks has been great, um, but I mean same thing. You can go back to the beginning of the season where he was playing well, and then he started playing god awful, and then it kind of went back up again. So he he has been having those ebbs and flows recently. So you hope that that doesn't go down and I don't think that it's going to and I don't see any reason why it would barring some injury or something that's bugging him or anything like that so I mean I, I, I think that rolling Pekka in for the playoffs is going to be fine I do want to see Hutton get at least get two starts um, I know we're going to get one with the back to back I at least want to see Hutton get two starts out of these next remaining games because we don't want an exhausted Pekka Rene in the playoffs no that's what sunk him last year yeah we, we can't have that I feel okay about it. I mean, he's not going to be asked to do too much this year compared to years past, especially to play a team like Dallas where they think they, they can pin them in the zone. Mm-hmm. Or even worst-case scenario, a team like St. Louis, which isn't a very – they're kind of a slow grinding st- grinding type, which means that you're going to – you know, their their style is just to pin you in the offensive – pin you in the, their offensive zone, your defensive zone. Um, as a whole, I don't – I mean, his Pekka's biggest uh, problems are on the penalty kill and against really extreme high-danger chances, and St. Louis really doesn't do a whole lot of those. Yeah, and that'd be something interesting to look at when playoff time comes around because trying to outplay uh, Kerry Lettinen or uh, Antti uh, Niemi is going to be a lot easier than trying to outplay uh, Ryan Elliott or Jake Allen. Yeah, makes us down to the next segment. Zachary Brickner writes in, Callie Yarncroke is an RFA after this season. What's a good number for him to resign, in your opinion? Now, we've touched on this a couple of times, but since then, that top line is starting to come alive again, and Yarncroke's stats are looking even better. So, uh, Yarncroke, kind of a weird player. I mean, he's he's not a... I don't think most people view him as a permanent fit on the top line, like what Link says, what Laviola likes to do is to kind of have your, your partnership of a center and a winger and then a third guy who's just kind of rotates in and out. Yarncroke, though, he's played just good enough not to be bumped from that top line. Yeah, I mean, I, I he, he's a utility player in my mind because he's playing well enough to fit up there, but he can also, you know, center a line if he needs to. He can play on the penalty kill. He can basically fill in anywhere in the lineup. Uh, I would say, you know, 2.53 million for a couple of years, for a few years, would be a good uh, good benchmark for him to get. I don't think he's worth anything more than that, uh, but that's a good, in my estimation, a good paycheck for him. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd like to see a little bit. I think they could negotiate him underneath that to a degree. Uh, I think he, I mean, he's still got a little bit to prove, and I think he's got the room to prove it still. Um, I, I could see him getting a couple years, you know, having like a three to four million dollar contract over the course of two years. So you know, like one point five to two a year. Maybe see if you can bridge him over. I just, you know, I feel like. 
because I want to agree with John. I want to say, yeah, he's like a $3 million player. You want him to be there for penalty, all those sort of things. I'm just, I just think the Predators can get him for less. I think they can low, I think low ball him at TLC home successfully. Mm-hmm. I think they can do it here. Plus, I think that the guy likes playing in Nashville too much. Uh, as far as how he how his numbers look this year, he's probably going to touch 30 points. If you told me going into the year that Cal Yarncroft's going to have 30 points for you and not be uh, and not look out of place on the top line, that's a serious yeah, win. For him. Especially considering one how he started the year and two how last year went. I mean, he got what 14 points last year? Uh, not 18. even that. 18. 18. Okay. But when you look here, put it in this context with Cal Yarncroft, uh, Cody Hodgson, Derek Roy, Ole Jokinen, Cal Yarncroft has taken all of their spots and displaced all of them. It's almost like signing older veteran players isn't the greatest idea. Old bad players are less good than young Although good I get, players. Yeah, Cody Hodgson isn't old, though. No, he's, he's not just, old. He's well, he's it's <laughs> not the years, it's the mileage. He's the mysterious Cody Hodgson. <laughs> That's why you don't, you don't, you don't you stay far away from players you from, or from Vancouver. He's a, 35, Vancouver. he's a 35-year-old in a 25-year-old's body. The Snide writes in, uh, Preds look great headed into the playoffs, but are there things they need to focus on for additional improvement? Brother, I'm. I've been thinking about this one most of the morning. I would have to. I would have to sit down and really look at numbers and look at and like watch game. It is not that they're the most complete team in NHL or anything like that, but their ceiling is more about the, the players they have. Uh, and so, if they bounce out, it's going to be because it's the playoffs and it's a it's a sample size of seven games rather than eighty two games, and they may struggle with inconsistency in those areas and. You know, I, they don't always. I mean, this week was really good, but they don't always get those really good scoring chances. They can't always create them. So I, I just feel like the Predators. There's a lot of static around them. Yeah, and so if you watched uh, a couple of months ago, you know, there, it always seemed that there was something was wrong. Like they weren't clearing the crease enough. They weren't great on the penalty kill. They weren't doing this. They weren't doing that. Where recently, it looks like for the most part, they're doing everything pretty well. Um, and I mean, it's hard to. Uh, talk against the point streak that they have. It's hard to talk against the results that they've had recently. And you don't do that by accident. You're not that consistently good by accident. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'd have to really look down and, like, crunch some numbers or maybe watch some film to figure out if there's anything that they really need to do. Um, I think, honestly, that they're firing on all cylinders right now, and they're in pretty good shape to end the season. If I want to get nitpicky, I'd like to see, uh, you know, a bit more willingness for the forwards to shoot in the power play. I think they rely on the defense too much, but when you've got sort of the, when you've got Yossi and Weber and Ekholm and Ellis, you might as well let them run the show if they can run the show well. So yeah, and power play is going to be just like a tiny percentage of what's going to be happening in the playoffs. Yeah, so yeah, penalty killing is way more important in the playoffs than power play is. This is true. Uh, Lincoln Vamos writes in. This may be one of our better ones this week. Uh, what's more annoying, the uh, arbitrary get louder sound meters at games or group text messages? The get louder sound. Oh, like, I, come I, on. I, I, that is absolutely yeah. one of the things. That I refuse to acknowledge those things even exist. It's like I think that after the seventh one in the first period, I get it. You want me to get loud. You know what? If the game's good, if I'm getting into it, I will do that. I don't need your constant freaking reminder every two freaking seconds. And Nashville is the worst place I've ever been for that. Yeah. It's so bad. I mean, when I've been to games in St. Louis, Columbus, uh, Tampa, and none of them did that. And so it was still, when I come back to a Predators game, I'm like, man. It feels minor league. Yeah. And like, I mean, you expect it. 
you know, maybe once a period, twice a period, I guess, sometimes. I expect when the moment calls for it. The lo- one of the loudest buildings I've heard was, uh, and maybe just been where I was sitting, but the time that you and I and Jason went to St. Louis, mm-hmm. and the third period was loud. Yeah, well, and that was also a and riveting that, game, And too. that was the only time where you saw Louis the Bear, like, on the on the scoreboard getting asking you to get loud. Mm-hmm. And the fans wanted to get loud. That, you know, just don't don't waste it. I mean, if you, it's like crying wolf, you know? Yeah, and it, it just it doesn't make any sense because if you're doing this in the you know the first period of a zero zero game, telling everyone to get loud, it's like okay, you're just embarrassing yourselves now. Yeah, you remember the um, there was the great moments in game operations I did with the ducks. Yeah, <laughs> like that one guy who keeps yelling at the crowd to get loud, and he was fired after one game. Because <laughs> certain sports markets, you can't do that. Yeah, like the the for those who don't know, the Anaheim Ducks tried really hard to be very kid friendly whenever they first started up, and uh, it failed miserably. Oh, the, the the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim? Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, yeah. It tried very hard to be very, like, their opening ceremony was actually, like, close to the salary of, like, the entire team. Like, the entire team's salary was, like, $7 million. The they For their opening night extravaganza was, like, $600,000. Just think, if they if, if, if Disney had never sold a team, then we could have had the Mighty Ducks in the Avengers movies. Wouldn't that have been great? I'm, were they a Marvel thing? N- no, but... The Avengers just, were. Um, yeah, because I'm, they I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the Star Wars Marvel crossover. Ooh. Well, I, I mean, no. How? What do you mean, how? They're just because they're owned by the same company. Yeah. Galaxy far away, long time ago versus current Manhattan. What Dan's saying is it's not historically a- accurate. Is the problem? Look, but actually, th- there there are portals, and you know, you've got guardians. Ga- uh, you galaxy <laughs> the guardians only ones. guarding the, the galaxy. They're the only ones you can do that with. So, and you could put that in there. Well, the guardians of the galaxy are going to be in the uh, Infinity Wars. So, with Iron Man and well, it's assuming that these people all sign contracts with Doctor Strange and Black Panther and everything like that. They're mashing up. Hopefully, the Punisher and Daredevil. Oh no, they all they all get locked in the contracts. They won't bring them on. I mean, that's well, why that's why Edward Norton got bounced. That's why. Well, uh, uh, Chris, uh, uh, sorry, Chris Hemsworth's contract is ending up at the after the next Thor movie. I think. Uh, uh, Chris Evans' contract is ending at the end of uh, Captain America. He, I think he, I, I think he re-up for another. Th- one, I think that they they've got some things to go into, um, like to get into the Infinity Wars and stuff like that. But we're getting to the point where we're going to start to see the page turning on you know some other new heroes. Yeah, I, I, and well, also I think Chris Evans has been. He he says like you know I'm actually getting a little burned out on acting, not just not on Marvel, but on acting. Yeah, he wants like, he wants to direct. Yeah, so I, and he even said like oh, I you know I probably just stop doing movies, but then if Marvel said hey we want to do one, I probably go back and do it for them mm-hmm. um you know that sort of thing but that's a rabbit hole that we don't even need <laughs> yeah. the not hockey show i'm all for doing one of those at some point uh john smith writes in is it safe to say yarn croak is our swedish version of nick spalling he kind of fixes lines as trots would say uh, i do disagree in this sense that uh, i don't think spalling really fixed that much but at the same but the sense that yarn croak you know he's he makes usually the line better. I, I think realistically, um, you know, Yarn Croak is not a top, is not really a top six forward. Mm-hmm. He's he's a borderline third, second line guy at best. Whereas, as we all know, Nick Spelling is in fact a top six forward, according you know, as as our as Barry Trotz taught us. So I think that's the biggest difference. <sighs> he scored in his first game again in uh, San Jose. Spelling, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's tennis, all I got. T- tennis ball. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Fred's angry fan writes in, uh, "What should we draft for this year? What moves should we make in free agency? Well, who, what should you draft for the best player available, best player available. at the time? And hey, we got a first round pick this year. Woo. What's um, that? Potentially, potentially true. Uh, what move, part of the question? I'm sorry. What moves should they make in free agency? 
Um, man, I don't know. I mean, I think they're just standing, staying the course. Uh, well, I think there's there's Back a couple decisions. Goalie, yeah, yeah. There's, I think there's a couple decisions. Uh, how happy are you with the bottom pairing defense? Because going out and shopping for a bottom five, six defenseman is one of the easiest, best things you can do in the offseason. That's what they do with Barry Jackman. Exactly. Do you bring Jackman back for more? Do you, you keep you keep him around longer? Um, does he still be your yeah, contract? Yeah, he's still be your yeah. Contract. okay, yeah. So, so, you know, maybe you shop around for somebody. There's a lot of, I think the Predators will do what they normally do, which is bring in, uh, let's see if I can remember them all, Granberg, Potato. Elliot, Potato, mm-hmm. and, then and then all the young guys into training camp and see if anyone, any of them can can win the spot. I don't think there's a glaring uh, a glaring hole, though, that yeah. they need to address. So, well, but thing, you bring him to camp, and if there is a hole, it's a, it's a bottom-pairing defense when you just find one and sign him. I was going to say, uh, on top of that, I mean, maybe you look at a top-line left wing, but I don't think that you're going to want to pay Milan Lucic or Kyle Ocposo crazy amounts of money. I'd, play, I'd pay Kyle Ocposo. I would, too, but I don't know if they are going to want to do that. Yeah. I think with the with the with who you have in the prospect system, and I don't think that they, want, they need to keep a lot of these redundant guys around, you have to have a hole up top for them to go in. Mm-hmm. And if Yarncroke's going to hold on to the spot for a while, he's playing well enough to where you can't, you can't really move him out of the spot unless... You made a blood oath to Jimmy Vesey yeah. to bring him in. But I think you're right, Dan. And and, and uh, the second the second thing I was going to say is uh, talking about you, John. You suggested backup goaltender. I did. He did. Yeah. Dan did. Okay. Thank you. So I think that's the other decision. Is are the Predators? Does Poyle and Vanderklok and all the staff people, all the smart hockey people, do they look at Pekka and say? Well, he's starting to get up there, and he's certainly, he's like, he's no, like, I'm trying to think of a good equivalent. Spring chicken? Well, no, I was thinking of a player um, equivalent. I mean, he's definitely, he's not a Lundquist. He's not, like, one of the ageless Uh, wonder-type players. Um, He's going to, you know, we don't know what we're going to get. Is now the time we start really training his successor? And so you want to get one of the young guys... Uh, Mazenik or, or Saros up to be the backup to play more games than uh, the backup typically has been getting the past few years. Or do you say no? He's got plenty of time. We've got plenty of time. Let's just let's either bring back Hutton for another year. Please don't do that. Uh, <laughs> or sign a, a competent backup goaltender. Uh, so I think I mean, th- but those are pretty minor decisions, which is yeah. nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. they don't have to. They don't have to reinvent the yeah, wheel. Yeah, the, the, the stressful thing of the summer are, is just getting your RFA's contracted. Yeah. Which is going to happen. Okay, so... Philadelphia offers you for Forsberg. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I just just look have to be looking at my uh, timeline here, and I forgot that I scheduled Martel's article to go right at, uh, go six, right o'clock. at six, 6 o'clock. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, everything's happening. Oh, those are none of them are questions. Good stuff, folks. Full round of applause from the question, uh, the question department here. All right, so... With the remainder of the time we have, we don't have a whole lot of time left. Um, do you guys want to look at uh, just a real quick drive-by as far as, uh, according to HockeyViz.com, Predators' most likely opponents as of today. Now, I didn't run this today. Let me go and knock this out today real quick. Is it going to let you? It should. Um, the Predators should be playing against either the um, the Stars, the Blues, or the Kings as far as who's going to be their um, their playoff opponent. Now, we've touched on this before. Um, Link, you and I are in full agreement that the Blues probably are the worst matchup for them, mostly because the Blues have this big, big, strong style. They're just hard to play against. The games are going to be just disgusting, and 
yeah, you just don't want to play against them. But I know that the Stars may have the weakest Stars have the weakest goaltending. I believe the Kings are the ones that are going to have the most trouble scoring goals. And the Kings also have, but the Kings also have a probably the the biggest. Uh, they generate more chances. They limit the most chances. Yeah, I feel like the Kings are kind of the middle between what the type of game that the Blues play and the type of game that the Stars play, where they're still going to be physical. Um, they they can still score on you. I don't know if they're going to have the ease to score on you as well as uh, uh, Dallas would. So, but and again, just the the thing about the LA Kings is you just can never never count them out because they've proven several times in a row that they are just a completely different animal once the once the playoffs start and you know that they're going to be hungry to to do that again after missing the playoffs last year yeah the la is standing at like a 39 percent chance dallas at 26 st louis at 18 i think the the dream scenario for predators fans is that if you if the Predators somehow overtake chicago which they have to get one more point to chicago to do that and get the number three spot you end up playing dallas or which i don't believe i don't think i think all of us are in going to accord that the blues are the favorite to win the central right now right Last I checked, the uh, they were pretty even with the stars, right? But the stars are without Tyler Sagan right now, oh, yeah. and the Blues aren't aren't even allowing goals. Well, the point. I mean yeah, that's true, but how long is that going to last? I mean, I, I never trust. I mean, it's what four games is that they've uh, shut out the opposition. Where Correct. whereas uh, the uh, stars just beat the uh, Sharks yesterday, like it was like three to two or four to two mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, I mean, and that's that's a team that's hunting for the playoffs too, and you know is healthy and very good. So I I wouldn't count the stars out just yet, just because that they're missing Sagan, just because they've got Ben, they've got Sharp back, um, they've got some options there to run. I think the but still the dream scenario is to draw the stars in the first round. It, that's like a two three matchup in that way. So the Blues get either married to playing either the Wild or the Blackhawks, and then the Kings play the other one. Right. So possible the possible scenario of sending Chicago out to the Pacific bracket, I think, would be great for everybody here. But um, Temporarily. Temporarily, at least. <laughs> uh, but the Kings kind of pose their own pose their own threats. I mean, they're, I don't think the lineup of, that LA is icing this year is anywhere as good as two or three years ago on paper. They have a lot of kids out there. They have a lot of players that are on entry level contracts, and they're they're more top heavy than they've been in years past. Yeah, but I mean, also, I mean, you can't discount what Kopitar does on the ice at all. I mean, he's, in my opinion, uh, one of my favorite players to watch in the league because he's just so much fun. Um, and then Milan Lucic has really meshed well with that club. They play a big style of hockey. That's right up his alley. Yeah, and then so, and you also have to remember, um, you know, getting Gabrick back is probably going to help them. I don't know how much, just because he's going to have missed a lot of time. He is made of glass, and uh, I can't off the top of my head. I can't remember uh, how good his numbers were the last time that they were in the uh, the playoffs. He did really well in the, the run that they had uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking just at scoring chances here, there is no team. There, there are very few teams that are better in Nashville, Los Angeles, in this department. The uh, high danger scoring chances. San Jose is actually above and beyond everybody in the league. But when you get down to the race for number two in the West, it's uh, Nashville and Los Angeles, and then there's everybody else. Um, regular scoring chances, the Predators and, and the Kings are pretty much neck and neck at that point. The, of all people, the Pittsburgh Penguins are have shot up the rankings in scoring chances. I think it has a lot to do with Kessel and Haglund being on a line together, but... Um, digress on that is one. Is that like uh, total raw number four or is that percentage? That's uh, plus minus on scoring chances. Okay. Um, so yeah, percentage, same. Um, but playing against the Kings, I mean, so it, it poses its own level of challenges. They play a very just kind of slow, methodical style. They move, they move around a little bit more than the Blues, but lastly, the Blues lineup, 
they're just too deep. They they were probably the last team I want to play. Yeah, in the playoffs. especially in the especially when once they're all healthy. I mean, they don't even have Steen right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, it, it's the worst thing about that, other than the fact that they are uh, a really good team, is the fact that you, how boring the games are going to be, just because they're going to grind you to a halt. But at the same time, like Link likes to to mention all the time, something is going to go wrong for the Blues in some way. Like who somehow, saw, who saw the Wild beating them last year? I didn't. I didn't see that. I mean, I full marks to the Wild because you know they were they were hot at the right time, but that was a bit of a surprise. I think I actually had the Blues going to uh, the final against the Lightning last year. That would have been a, a fair bet. Yeah. I, I don't really have a whole lot more on that for right now. I mean, we're we're going to kind of get more into the playoff predictions as it goes along, but. If they can somehow just avoid St. Louis in the first round, and of course, a lot are they're going to avoid Chicago. I'm okay. I would rather them play because plus the second round matchup would be much better. And there's a there's the fifth tough question I believe you guys are gonna are gonna circle around to that. Um, NHL news. Uh, did either of you by chance see the Arizona and Philadelphia game from last night? No. No, it was that was a super late game. It's like it was Pacific plus late degree of lateness. And I um. You had uh, some very... It was Radko Gudis, who I actually still like Radko Gudis. I guess. Why? Because he is a funny guy who likes children, who, you know, is, did some really funny... I'm just glad he doesn't elbow children. <laughs> well, he actually uh, got got in late on uh, Doni last night and end up... Uh, yeah, I know. Does, does that cancel each other out? Well, does that, like, uh, create a well, I mean, rip in the time? Also, I, I do I mean, Jurel's got laid out where he was Martin, like, laying yeah. face face up on the ice Martin like a Hansel's, fried egg. Martin Hansel's about the size of an Oldsmobile, and he just, like, shoved uh, Giroux with one hand, and Giroux just went flying through, through, like, time and space, and, yeah, it was scary. Giroux's, like, on his back looking up like a boxer. Yeah, I mean, the, the Flyers have um, come and said, that, oh, yeah, he's fine, but no one's buying that right now. No. And that might kill their their playoff chances. Yeah, that was a rough one. I don't know. Detroit is making it pretty easy for them to get into the playoffs well, right now. Them, I mean, actually doing it, Not that I expect the Flyers to do much of anything in the playoffs, but that really hurts them. Yeah, let's have a look at that real quick. I haven't seen the uh, East playoff chances here. As of last night, uh, Philadelphia, this is all according to HockeyViz.com, Micah Blake McCurdy, who's probably our, if you're like us, like visual people, this is great stuff. Um he has the Flyers at a 72% chance of making the playoffs as of right now. Detroit down to 52. Um, Boston all the way down to 78 because they've kind of cooled off as of late. Um, so looking at that, you got the uh, Atlantic Division kind of settling in with Florida. Took a big game last yeah, night against Tampa. Yeah, I saw that. That was a hell of a game. Yeah, I, I, I didn't catch it live, but I watched the replay for it, and it just looked like so much fun. My mom was there. Yeah, fun fact. Hmm. Yeah, how does she, how does she like uh, going to the arena there? Uh, I having been to the arena myself, man, yeah. that is a fun place to watch a hockey game. They at least treat it like hockey, don't they? <laughs> no, as in like they're they're not, yeah. you know. No, it, it it's no, it's a very it, it actually feels like a pretty traditional hockey environment. It's a smart crowd. And I'll tell you what though, uh, Tampa had some fun hockey this weekend. That game against the Islanders and then mm-hmm. followed up with the game against the Panthers. It's good the, stuff. The Panthers are just fun every time I watch them, especially if you watch the Panthers feed, because Goldstein is one of my favorite play-by-play guys. Yeah. See, no one cares if the if the Panthers are bad or not. We just love them so much. Yes. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with Mimo, I'm a Bolts fan first. I enjoy watching the Panthers because it, you're never really bored watching a Panthers game, even when the team was bad. Like, they still had so many kids out there, and it was just, you know, oh, there's Barkov, there's Huberto, and I just want to hug them all. 
Uh, the Pacific Division is pretty boring right now. The Atlantic Division is kind of chaotic with the Islanders not deciding whether or not they're going to be good. The Rangers, how about the Eric Stahl trade as of right now? We were, we made fun of it at the beginning of the year that the Predators are going to trade for Eric Stahl and, you know, that's just going to be kind of accept reality with it. Stahl hasn't really done crap for the Rangers so far. Has it's really? Surprise. <sighs> I can't believe it. The problem with the Rangers, uh, and this is a... I don't know if this is a Rick Nash uh, team trait, but or if it's just a New York Rangers team trait because it's you know so, okay Henrik go go in the game for us, but Eric, and they're still going to find a way to get to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals somehow. Eric Stahl hasn't has had um, has had one point since uh, March the eighth. Yeah, he's going to have a lot of trouble finding a new contract over the summer. Yeah, it's almost like hey you're going to Flyers will sign into a. Uh, Mm-hmm. Cavier style deal. Yeah. His his stat line for the Rangers since the trade: one goal, two assists. It's almost like he's not the same type of player that he was before. And they gave up two big prospects for him, didn't they? Yep. That's I love, I love it. I mean, this is I love it. Uh, between this, uh, some quotes by Guy Lafleur that uh, where he was criticizing the makeup of the Montreal Canadiens. You have Minnesota, who doesn't have a top-line center, who's probably going to shell out buku money for David Backus over the summer because David Backus played college hockey uh, in Minnesota, mind you. Makes sense. I, Hashtag Jimmy VZ watch. <laughs> well, well, he's he's from the east side of the Great Lakes, so he's probably going to go to Boston or Toronto because tampering. You've got it's it's a the Johansson trade really set the table for the Predators not being one of these redundant franchises that just does not have a top-line center and. That is probably one of the biggest takeaways I have from this season. Even if the Predators do flame out in the first round this year, the better days are ahead. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of my big takeaway with this. All right. Let's do five tough questions because I got some going on afterwards. Uh, you guys ready? Anything yeah. Anything else? Anything NHL-wise we want to do before we do this? Anything on your mind? No, I don't, I don't think, think so. so. either. Number one, Guy Lafleur. Legend. Made some comments about the Montreal roster and said how they're currently constructed. There is no, quote, top line, no second line. He said they just have, like, four fourth lines, which isn't quite accurate when you have Pacioretty and Galchenyuk and company, and Brendan Gallagher's hurt. But other than uh, teams in obvious tank mode, such as the Toronto Maple Leafs, what NHL team's roster is in the worst situation? I think uh, there's an argument for the... I think. Wow, there's two teams. Two teams jump out at me: Eastern Conference team, Western Conference team. I think in the East, I think honestly, I think the Jackets roster is a mess. It's not that it's flat out bad; it's just a mess. Contracts, personnel, not. I don't think they know what to do with the people they have. Uh, and then out west, this is gonna. This is gonna be our theme. Vancouver has to be. I mean, at least. As perplexing as sometimes can be, Calgary's doing something, doing a lot of right things. They've got a lot of young players who are just improving. Vancouver just is a dumping zone for talent right now. Or former talent, rather. Former talent. (laughs) Aging talent. Yeah, and they can't even get rid of them in the right way to start their rebuild. No. They're paying Alex Burroughs $4.5 million. (laughs) They're paying Derek Dorsett 2.6, Chris Higgins 2.5, Yannick Hansen 2.5. Next year, all these guys are going to be north of 30. I mean, they've got some okay pieces with McCann, Horvat, Vertanen, but none of them are, are great. You've got Lyndon Vay, who's okay, and that's just your forwards. I mean, the defenses, you have 
you've got three unrestricted free agents this year with Ham Hughes, Barkowski, and Weber. Ham Hughes they're probably going to retain, but he's going to be 34 next year. I don't know if he wants to stay in Vancouver, though. That's an excellent question. And I think he does, but I don't know if he's going to make that decision. Yeah. I think he wants to stay there, Yeah, but I don't know yeah. if he will. But, yeah, so I'm on board with what links. Those are the first two teams that came into my mind. That's really like a perfect answer. Yeah, I mean, and you could also you may throw Minnesota in there as well. I don't think that there's much of a tire fire as the Jackets or the... Um, or the Canucks, though. Yeah, yeah. Minnesota is, is like two or three pieces away, but the pieces that they're missing are so they're hard huge. to get. Yeah, they're, they're huge. They're, they're the new Nashville. In a lot of ways, really yes, not. except they're paying, let's see, of, of their highest paid players, they're all over 31 years old on the forward side. you got Parisi, Koivu, Vanek, and Pominville all making a combined, let's see, 7 plus 6.7 plus 6.5 plus 5.6. That's a lot of money. You know, you got Charlie Coyle on a great deal that starts next year, but that's, you know, Charlie Coyle. You got Ryan Suter at seven and a half. You've got Devin Dubnik locked up until 2021, getting four and a half, hit four and yeah, a third. But he's playing well, at least. He's playing better. He, he's, he's definitely playing better. The problem with Minnesota is that they banked on all these prospects. They were all just going to, you know, be great for them. They banked on guys like Mikhail Granlund and uh, uh, some of the other ones. Uh, Carter really didn't turn out. Schroeder is supposed to be better than what he is. He's He's okay. They banked on all these prospects, and they've missed on a few of them. I mean, they're not bust by any means, but Mikhail Granlund's not a top-line center. Charlie Coyle is not going to be a top-line center. And that's what they're desperately needing there. And they're stuck in kind of in like the Nashville mode where they're going to be pretty good every year. But after a while, your system isn't going to be good enough to kind of buoy the rest of the roster. So at some point, Minnesota's going to do a teardown and rebuild. But I think definitely Vancouver is like the perfect answer for that. Number two, the Wild, the Preds, and the Blues are all on winning streaks right now, greater than three games. The top five teams in, bleh, the top five teams in the Central last night would buy a combined score of 21-4 to on Saturday night. Is this year's Central Division better than last year's, and how does it compare to other divisions as far as great divisions since the lockout? This is the great lockout of uh, in the mid-2000s. I can't remember a time where a division was this much better yeah, and I, I think it's just because the the teams that are really good are really good. I mean, you have the Stars making a resurgence. Uh, Nashville has gotten better as the season has gone on. And then, of course, you know, uh, Chicago and St. Louis, you knew were going to be good. And Minnesota's in desperation mode right now. I mean, we looked at it and said that, uh, and you know, at the beginning of the season, six teams, because the Jets were in the hunt for, you know, the first quarter of the season they were like right in there um you knew that they were going to fall off but i mean you knew that those five teams were going to be absolutely incredible and a grind to play against so i think that we're seeing that and when you look at the other divisions i mean the pacific has three pretty good teams everyone else is garbage the atlantic is not terrible but it's not amazing and then the metro same same type of deal you've got washington who's like miles ahead of everyone else and then everyone else is kind of in that gooey middle I, I think um, what we're really seeing is is something that the East has dealt with for a long time. The East has always been a little to- has always been pretty top heavy. There's the ha- definite the haves and have nots, the winners, the losers. Uh, traditionally, these for the past I would say even decade, uh, the Pacific and Central have just been, or really the Western Conference because obviously we had the realignment, just brutalized each other. That they'd have fewer points because they just everyone would start winning and losing. It was, there was a whole lot of parity, a whole lot of balance. This season in the West, we've seen that shift to more of an Eastern model where you have some very clear, like, for like, 
you know, really Colorado down is just pretty weak. Minnesota, honestly, pretty weak. Uh, Nashville, they've been really strong in the second half of the season, but for the first half or a little bit more, they were it's kind of questionable. I mean, they've been all over the place. Uh, so I, I think it's less that the Central is so powerfully dominant more than they may. I think they, they're at the level they've always been at, but I think the Pacific falling off, the fact that you still have all the issues out east, so the West teams are still going out east and still beating up the teams in the east for the most part, that you get situations like that. Number three, um, why does Brent Burns not get a whole lot of Norris Trophy love? When you look at his goals, his assist, and typically that's what where they fall in love with defensemen. I know he's played more defensemen this year than he has forwards, so that's usually the big argument that goes against him. Uh, so why does he not get more Norris Trophy love? And also, do you ever see Shea Weber winning a Norris? Uh, he, Brett Burns has something that uh, the hockey decision makers, the people who make these decisions, the media, whoever, make. He has something that, that they hate, which is personality. Hate it. Despise it. You don't want to reward personality in the NHL. So that's maybe one reason why he hasn't. But uh, realistically, I think that does have a little to do with it, to be honest. Um, but it, it is a lot. It's perception of who he is as a player. He's sort of this hybrid type player where he goes back and forth and he'll play a bunch of defense and he'll play, you know, and I think that does hurt his reputation. There's, reputation matters so much more in the NHL for awards than, than, than a lot of things. A, a player who had an okay season with a great reputation is more likely to win a trophy than a player who had a great season but no reputation. Yeah, and I mean, I don't watch uh, the Sharks games as religiously as some other people do, but when whenever I do get a chance to tune into him, I notice that he's nothing special, like nothing of stand out. He's just very solid at his game. You know, there's nothing, you know, he's not making egregious uh, turnovers. He's not making egregious plays. And he has that score just because he has that scoring mentality because of when he, when he played there. Um, no, I don't see Shea Weber winning a Norris trophy ever. Uh, he, I think that window has passed. Yeah. And, and with the level of play you see from, from like Eric Carlson year in and year out. Mm -hmm. And the fact that people even debate whether he deserves a Norris tells me that Weber Weber has a shot, but at this point it's an outside shot because I think there's younger, more affected defensemen. Yeah, uh, I, th I think Yossi has a much better chance of getting a, uh, 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 a Norris than, than Weber does. Yeah, you took the that words out of my said, mouth. I, I would even challenge that Roman Yossi within the next couple few years, we, I, I will be confident in saying, I think a lot of people will be confident in saying he's the best defenseman to ever wear a Predators jersey. At this point, I think I'm on board with that. But the, when you look at Brent Berg's numbers... Um, 26 goals for a defenseman. That's that's crazy. Yeah, it's incredible. But uh, Carlson playing 29 minutes a night, 76 points for him so far this year. He's a point-a-game defenseman. On a, on an absolutely dreadfully bad team. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Senators have drastically under, uh, been regressed this past year. <laughs> I mean, the the point where the owner is calling out saying no one is safe. That's uh, they do that every – it's always like they make the playoffs for like three or four years and then they miss the playoffs for like one or two and then they're back in the playoffs for like two or three years and then they miss again. Well, that's Ottawa. It's, 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 it's a signature of a team that doesn't pay attention to what their players are actually doing. Yeah. I think that's some truth They don't know how to evaluate the play in the ice, and, and so they oscillate. Yeah, they and, they, and they got and, well, exact, they got so lucky last year. They shouldn't have made the playoffs last no, year at all. definitely not. They got, they got hot with the right goalie, and uh, yeah, they rode that for a while. Number four, and this is uh, I, I kind of this is one of those questions I kind of I got on a checklist that eventually I'm going to reveal to you guys, but um, hmm. is there a roster in the NHL that you personally would love to coach? And on the other side, is there a roster that you would absolutely hate coaching? Canucks. 
to hate. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I would also hate to coach. Um, as I hate to coach the Bruins. Hate it. The personality. I mean, you'd have to overhaul the entire personality of the team. I mean, the the amount of work that would go into it for be, for it to be a team that I would be proud of would be so difficult. You do have Bergeron, who's like perfectional. Well, yeah, but he's how many guys are on the roster? A lot more than just <laughs> yeah. one. Yes. Yeah, I'm not really like I like this guy. This no, this is awesome. Um, Everyone just be. I'd like love him. to. I'd love to coach the Capitals. You just put them on the ice and let them do their thing. That's yeah. That's what I was gonna say. So <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna pick that just because. I'm a little biased there, and I see. No, don't what, be, no, no. I, I do hey, what they John, see, John, what they do. John, it's totally be, it's go, okay. You don't have to be biased. I'm okay because with that. I would. I, that's my, I would make the call, and if I say it's okay, go for it. I just want to hang out with Evgeny Kuznetsov, like see what he. They gave away an action figure of him last night. I what an action figure? Yeah. Well, so well, it's like more like a statue from his. Uh, there's this picture of him celebrating his uh, goal oh, against the uh, New York Islanders in Game Seven of the playoffs last year, um, and he's like celebrating like this, and he's got his like arms up in the air, like in the middle of doing like a, a fist pump type of thing. But they got him right as he's like pulling back on it, um, and they turned that into like a bust, uh, like figurine type of thing, and they gave it away. I yeah, want that's really one. Cool. Yeah. The caps, the caps game ops, and the caps giveaway stuff is always super cool. Um, how about off the board? How about the St. Louis Blues? Because the St. Louis Blues have some ridiculous talent. They yeah. have a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah. If they yeah. weren't called the yeah. St. Louis Blues, yeah. if they were like the uh, the Saskatoon Rangers or something. Oh, if they were in a different city, if they were in a different <laughs> city. You would love this roster because you have they two goalies that can get it done. You have a defense that's yeah. kind of underpaid and gets the job done. You have a forward core that you can just throw darts and everything would work. Just. Ken Hitchcock is the uh, one. Yeah, well, but okay, we. I mean, we're. I think we're we're going a little far off the rails because I think the the rule has to be that they're in the city that they they're in, um, because otherwise you'd be like, yes, I'd like to coach the Philadelphia Flyers in say, uh, I don't know the moon. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That would be pretty cool. I don't. That puck physics though would be a little bit too hard. It doesn't matter. We. I would just like it'd be like. Me and Wayne Simmons and Claude Giroux fighting moon Nazis. Well, that's where that bubble comes in. <laughs> to take it back to the bubble hockey, that's where that comes in. Between that and the Panthers. Your rollerball. <laughs> because the Panthers, A, you're in Fort Lauderdale, but B, you have Yager. Yeah. So smooth, Yager. Uh, yeah, the Panthers would be a fun one. Finally, number five. If Jimmy Vesey ultimately does not sign in Nashville, what grade would you give David Poyle for this year's team with this year's roster? What? I'm confused. I'm sorry. If Jimmy Vesey does not, not sign, sign in Nashville, meaning that David Poyle essentially sold it to us like, well, we didn't want to give away Jimmy Vesey's spot on the team because we know what we have coming in. And those are actually his words. Mm-hmm. If he does not sign in Nashville, what grade would you give David Poyle for this year's roster? Now, last year, did I, did I did we do a grade prior, like last year? Last, I'm sorry, last week? Because I'm trying to remember. I graded somebody. I gave him like we, a B, C plus. Lavi Light. Yes, Lavi Light. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, here's the thing. Regardless of what happens with VZ, I would give Poyle the same grade. The VZ thing does not impact me at all outside of the the hard sell the Predators organization has done over the past few weeks, I think is a little bit embarrassing. But that's just my opinion. Other people may be fine with it. It's just my opinion. But it, it, whether or not VZ joins the roster um, does not affect my opinion of Poyle's job this year because I don't, buy into the fact that VZ is as impactful as people are trying to make him out to sound. I don't think he's going... He's not going to step in and all and score 10 goals between now and the time the Predators get bounced in the playoffs or win the Stanley Cup. 
I just I don't see that happening. I like I think he went. You know, he, went, he scored like 18 points and 22 points his freshman sophomore year. Now, those are the years that players, they make their mark in the NCAA, and then they make the jump into the NHL. Sometimes they need to bake longer. Well, he's, he obviously jumped up 58 points last year, 46 this year. So the question is, okay, did he turn a corner? Did the Harvard team improve from where it was? So it's a better team now, and so maybe surrounding it with better tools allowed him to play better? Uh... How did he end up at Harvard? If he's good enough, I mean, you know, Boston College wasn't interested. BU wasn't interested. I mean, there's a lot of good Bay Area, like, you know, Massachusetts thing. Yeah. There's a lot of question marks, and I think at least a little bit of Poyles were holding a roster spot. There's a spot for you. Yeah, that was salesmanship, and I don't believe for a second that Poyle built a team with a hole in it, hoping that a college player who's unproven at a professional level is going to step in and be that guy. I don't buy that. Poyle has shown that even when I disagree with him, even when I think he does something really stupid, when he actually does something that's literally very stupid, his track record is strong enough where I don't think he would do something like that. And not only that, but we've talked about it ad nauseum at how none of the trades that were available or maybe could have been available this year really made any sense for the Predators. Like, Scott Hartnell coming in, did that really make a whole lot of sense? No. Was there any forwards that they could have gotten? Well, reasonably not without shipping off some yeah, things that they could like possibly Brandon need. Brandon Peary was the only thing that, that, that I really wanted. Yeah, but, exactly. But, that, but no one, that trade made no sense to anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I don't even are. know, like, Poyle doesn't even know to make that call because that's that's somebody like has a fever dream. Like, I'll, I'll see if I can get him. Mm-hmm. And then realized that it wasn't a dream unless there's some dirt on Peary that we don't know about that was a steal yeah um so yeah I, I mean I'm with Link where I don't my opinion of how the roster has been made up uh does not change whether or not VC is here or not uh I think that I want to go to actually put a grade down probably be B minus um because I I, I was you know, getting getting Johansson is, is huge for the team. Even though that may they may still need to plug some things here and there, that filled a huge hole that we were talking about for years uh, that we didn't know how that they were going to do. And, Since you know, we recorded our first episode of the Predcast four years ago, exactly. So they they get that <laughs> now, and you know, and like like we mentioned with the, the the when we talked about with UFA, now all the little things like you know, uh, fifth sixth defenseman, a backup goaltender, uh, where do you what do you do with Kelly Yarncroft? Like all those are minor things um, that that can be plugged a little bit later. Yeah, and ultimately. Losing a guy like VZ is like losing any other prospect who doesn't pan out. It's, it's the same thing. It's you didn't. You're not. The Predators aren't really losing anything because they, as you pointed out, I think in the weeks past, Dan, Predators have not spent money developing him. He's come to the camps for a few days. Like he's come to a few week long camps. Uh, the Predators have not poured a lot of money into him. They've poured some resources into him. Where you have Jeff Kelsey going over game film with him, like after every single game, going through his shifts with him. So they are spending some, I mean, some kind of off-the-books money on him. But you're right, they're not spending any salary money. They're not tying up any, any a spot in the development system for yeah, him. It's, they're, it's, just, they're, st- they're spending yeah, pis- it, personnel time on him. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got sunk costs, and then you're not... It, it, there's this perception that, that losing him is, is like they're losing 30 goals. And it, it, yeah, simply just not a believable 
scenario to me. I mean, could VZ be that good? I don't think so. Maybe. Buttons, Craig Button thinks that he's probably going to be about another 20, 25 goal scorer. I mean, I've seen 30 goal scorers. I just don't think 30 goal I mean, scorers grow on trees anymore. No, I think people are still stuck in the 80s with that. I, you, you may be looking at a guy who who's going to be like a Craig, maybe a, a slightly better a, Craig a Smith. Kevin Hayes or a Craig Smith. Yeah. And, and that's fine. That's great. I mean, that's that's fantastic. That's a very valuable second line player. I mean, if he turns out like to be a Nick Bukestad. But the Predators great. already have a Craig Smith. His name is Craig Smith. <laughs> he scores when he wants. Yeah, it, but adding another Craig Smith and maybe make someone like a Colin Wilson expendable or maybe make someone like a, oh, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pull off Victor Arbertson right now, but it may make another piece expendable where you can maybe move that into for yeah, future I mean, assets I, and move that further down the road. If VZ signs, great, but it doesn't mean that he's going to pan out as a prospect. No. But it's better than losing him for nothing. I I don't. But I but, uh, but they're not they're not losing him for nothing because the way this is structured, the way the system is structured, an NCAA player can choose their own fate. So they're not losing him for something. It's a risk. I mean, people don't talk about it enough, but it's a risk when you draft an NCAA player that they just ride it out. Mm-hmm. And while it's not usually the best decision for their career, it's a decision that they're free to make. And if teams are hesitant to 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 uh, draft Russians because they think they'll stay in the KHL. They're for some re- and that's why I think it comes down to a little bit of xenophobia, because um, they're not afraid to draft NCAA players who can just do whatever they want. Right. Do you think that's going to get addressed during the next CBA slash lockout? Probably not. <laughs> no, because I mean, m- I mean, most Should. of these, m- yeah, I mean, most of these kids are are usually wanting to go, um, you know, jump into the the pro leagues after like one or two years. I mean, that's usually what's best for them. You're getting a couple more. Uh, situations now where that's happening, but I mean, most of these overage players who yeah. do this, they turn they turn out to be fine. Yeah, like I Kevin mean, Hayes. All these things, these things come up, and like everyone's like fighting over like where will you sign? Where will you sign? It's like, and then they sign somewhere, and it's the place you always expected them to sign in the first place, and then they turn out to be fine. Like I, because remember when like the Kaiser uh, yeah, is it, fine. exactly, exactly. People I was are losing say that. their minds. Yeah. he's fine. He's not elite like everyone was pretending he was. Well, if he was elite, he wouldn't have been in college for four years. Yeah, so, uh, you you again took the words He's, right out of my mouth. I'm sorry. I was gonna, no, it's all right. I was going to bring that up, and I'm glad I don't like, have yeah, to anymore. Yeah, here, here's the, here's a great tip. Colleges like money, and they they like to put people on their graduated here thing. It makes them look good. It helps attract people, recruiting, all that kind of stuff. Jimmy Vesey could have gotten his college degree probably from Harvard. Carry on. Okay, he got his degree from Harvard. In, in his uh, during the summers, he could have worked done like worked on the side, done a lot of. There was nothing stopping him from getting his degree. But what he got the advantage of is being able to maybe sign wherever he wants, at the price that uh, at a you know good price and, and you know all these things. And this is if it, let's just say he does sign with Nashville. You have a guy who's never played more than forty games in a year. Who has just gotten bounced out of the playoffs, the college you know tournament? Is he going to be fitness ready for the Predators? Are you, is he going to be in the right shape? I got a hot take on that. I don't care. The fact that you're not losing, you're, you've got a prospect that a lot of people that are far smarter than me like, know, and thinks that he can really be a um, he can really be a decent player in the league. You're not losing that. Yeah, but I mean, there's been lots of guys who were were highly highly touted. Who were absolutely dreadful and bouncing the NHL. Yeah, but you know what? Potential though, 
the fact that you that if you, maybe he doesn't work out in a year or so year or so here, you can do what the um, what the Bruins do, what the Panthers do, and switch him for another asset. Because someone's going to want this guy. As much attention as this guy has drawn, someone's going to want him. And not losing him for anything—that's that's the only thing I'm looking at here. Whatever gets him in the door. Say if you try him for in the top on the top line for two or three games, doesn't work out. Okay, peace. I'm okay with that. Kind of a cavalier way to look at it. Yeah, well, the the good thing is is that after this week, we'll know. Hopefully. Yeah, I, I haven't decided with the people, uh, the folks who are saying, hey, if he, like, if he wants to play in Nashville, he'll sign and just play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He won't. The longer you go without news, the less likely it is he's going to sign. So if he, I, mean, I honestly think if he's not in Nashville tomorrow, he's not signing with the Predators. If he's not, if he's not in by, I'd say, about Wednesday or Thursday, then he's not signing with the Predators. I'll give him. A, I'll tell you what. After I got through playing, you know, that much hockey, I'd probably want to take a week or two off, anyways. So, I yeah, and that may be what that may, that may be the bad news of Poyle guys. He actually wants to rest up a little bit because I'm sure the the team would much rather have a guy who's still got game legs mm-hmm. to to go in because the second you go into to off season mode, your body is not at its peak performance level. Well, and you also have to think that. Um, Pretty much for his entire life, he's been working up to play in the NHL. So I, there's no question that he wants to play in the NHL. But if he does not, you know, after a couple of days, a week or so, be like, okay, now I can realize my dream and play in the National Hockey League, means that he doesn't want to play in Nashville and he's going to go wherever he wants. So it, it's going to be, you know, if it, by the end of this week, if he's not signed, then he's not coming to Nashville. How hurt would you be if he decided to go to Toronto and started to go to Chicago? I, don't I wouldn't care. care. Yeah, no, I mean, I am. I don't view VZ not signing with Nashville as as um, as the Predators are losing something because right because they really have in VZ they have potential and possibility, but it's 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 a difficult to quantify, difficult to understand thing, and they don't have him now. They do not have he is not in, he is in the system technically by technicality he is within the system the Nashville Predators prospect system. He is not a national predator. He's not. A, he's not a professional player in any capacity. He is an amateur. Stu- he's a student. He's a human being student, and the predators have nothing. They have no leverage. They have nothing. Yeah, I, I, get, out, get they, out of my head. They don't. They, they don't. There's nothing for them to lose because it is entirely 100% VZ's decision. So if he goes somewhere else, it's because he he wanted to, and the predators didn't lose anything because they didn't have him in the first place. Because he's already made that decision in his head. Like we. We may not know about it, but the decision's already been made. I have no doubt about that. He's probably known for a year. Yeah. And, uh, like, on top of that, so one of the things I keep hearing is that, like, oh, this is going to be a failure on Poyle's part, or this is just another player who's spurning the Predators and doesn't want to play here because we've got no history of winning. That's not what it is at all. I mean, if you look— It's going to be tough to sell that the other way, though. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at the roster, I mean, like, if if— if someone really wanted to play in the NHL and they really wanted to play with Nashville, say, okay, James Neal, Ron Johansson, those are your line mates. You've got a 30-goal scorer in Philip Forsberg. You've got this, 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 this. You've got this beautiful city of Nashville. Uh, I mean, that's – I mean, if if you're not sold on that, it's got nothing to do with how the team is built because it's not like a Vancouver situation or a Columbus Blue Jackets situation. I mean, he'd be coming into a roster that is well-constructed and would be even better with him. So it's that's all personal, and that's – 
something that he is able to do because of whatever loophole or even just how the rules are set out. That is what he's able yeah, to do. And if he wants to exercise that, there's nothing that we can do about that. And, and there's, there's uh, you know, a really deep level here, like a very personal level, because I, I always come down to see a person as an, as an adult or an informed adult making a decision on their own for what they want for their career. And I think about, all right, if I, and I haven't bought an NHL, EA NHL game in, I don't know, two, three years just because I got, bo- I, it just got redundant for yeah, me. Yeah. And, like the game started kind of falling to pieces. Uh, man, I miss it sometimes though. But I think what, what, what would I do whenever, like, you know, I, I would, you know, do a, be a pro and go through the draft and, you know, and I would always like, oh, I'd always want Nashville to draft me because that's where I wanted to, you know, have the hockey player go. And inevitably I'd always try to get him to sign to Nashville ultimately. Um, but still, you know, the team that would draft you, I'd always had, you, you know, I was still thinking, oh, I want to go to, you know, you want to play for Nashville because you grew up seeing it's it's that environment, it's the cold. There's so many things. I mean, it, just think about what it must be like for for a kid who grows up watching a professional hockey team, dreams nothing about nothing but being one of those guys, and then is in such a position where he is a wanted commodity, and he has the ability to say, to go in an entry level contract and say, I want to play for you. And they want him there. That is an incredibly powerful thing. And as as hockey fans, we have no right to deny that to him. Because mm-hmm. he has earned every inch of that. And that's what just drove me mad uh, last year and before that saying, like, why is he going back to Harvard? It's because you don't throw away a Harvard education. I mean, by all uh, measures of what he's doing, Jimmy Vesey is a very smart young man, and he's doing what is best for him and what he wants to do. I mean, reading that, you know, Players Tribune article, however ghostwritten was or whatever it is, I mean, the reasoning of why he wanted to go back to Harvard is, I mean, that's a very personal decision that no one else yeah, can tell him what to it do. It's also, it's another, it's, it is... New England still mm-hmm. you know it's it's the Boston Massachusetts area I mean it's his identity it's his family uh, there's there's uh, I mean I, I'm just going on and on about this so I'll kind of I'll wrap it up yeah um, but I, I really think there's so much more to it than him just playing the NHL than just playing hockey there is an emotional a deeply deeply emotional culture aspect to this that everyone's ignoring and and just to sound like sounds so like a broken record you have to forget he's he's a person with hopes and dreams like the rest of us, and and his may not take him to Nashville, and that's a, a, I think that's a great decision for him, and uh, I I would love if the CBA was amended someday to compensate teams that lost picks in that way, but you know nothing there's nothing untoward going on everything is above the board, and what happens happens. I think the Predators fans, if they're honest with themselves, they'll admit this. You're more worried about looking like a chump franchise again than you are about we're looking losing a prep, losing a uh, prospect. But, but look at the teams that have lost out players like this. I mean, it's been it doesn't all it, across the board. You know what? It doesn't it doesn't matter. But any chance that Nashville looks weaker than what they should, people here take it so much more personal because for the longest time this franchise was weak. Yeah. Well, now they've got an amazing top four defensive core. They've got two thirty goal scores. Neil. Yarncroak, uh, Yarncroak. Well, sure, Yarncroak. We'll throw him in there. Guys like characters like Mike Fisher, Philip Forsberg, Craig Smith. I mean, you've got recognized names. You've got truly top elite quality talent, and you didn't have to tank your way and to you this. You worked talent. for it, and you <laughs> earned it, and you're going to be upset over uh, a third a, round draft pick. A third round draft pick making it. Who who didn't? Who by all means does not have the kind of pedigree that says he's going to be elite. It's it's okay. Yeah. 
it's okay, and he'll be happier for making his decision. I, you know, I actually, I was really impressed by one thing, though. So this is kind of a thank you to Nashville Predators hockey fans. I actually went on and looked at Jimmy VZ's, like, Twitter feed, the people sending mm-hmm. messages to him. Yeah. The Predators fans who were messaging him were the kindest people. There was no harassment. I was told, I was avoiding looking at this because I there was like, oh, no. no. I mean, I'm sure there was some there. <laughs> I'm sure there was some there, but there was no begging, harassment. Things. People were congratulating him. You saw more people being like, "Hey, you're gonna sign with Toronto. You're gonna sign with like." It was people from other teams who were begging him, and so I I was really impressed by that. I I know that is is who we are as a community, but it's always nice to see that laid out uh, on a, on a different stage and. Um, and that's also why I've taken some of the, the, the VZ watch tree so tongue in cheek. <laughs> yeah, I do enjoy it. I'm enjoying your, uh, the, I hope that plate recovers fine. It's been broken. It's actually been broken for a year. I just, I've got, I had it up in the shelf and I remembered it was up there. <laughs> not, <laughs> not to break the illusion. Yeah. Uh, I didn't one, smash a plate for anybody. <laughs> one last uh, unrelated note. Apparently, uh, before this broke during the show, uh, now Yakupov reportedly asked for a trade prior to the trade deadline. Not a huge surprise. Um, so he's definitely going to be on the move during the summer. All right, that about does it. Uh, I do know we have a uh, you have a bit of a um, announcement you want to get into, right? Yeah, so uh, I got a uh, job opportunity that I took, and uh, it's looking uh, like this is going to be my last podcast recording for right now. We'll uh, we'll see how that goes, uh, but just the way that the schedule is going to be working out, it's going to be too impossible for these guys who work a normal schedule and me who's working a much different schedule uh, to find time to record and everything like that. So, um, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I'm very sad to be leaving, but, oh, my gosh, what is this? No, is this? Ooh. So Dan just walked across the room and gave me a bag. Uh, it looks like a basket of some sort. It's in a cracker, cracker barrel bag. And it looks like a wine basket. Oh, my goodness. Except that's not wine. Holy shit. Uh, Sorry for cursing. So not only do we have three of my favorite beers, so we've got a Founder's Dirty Bastard, which you know because I gush about all the time, a uh, Two-Hearted Ale from Bell's, and then a Bell's Kalamazoo Stout, which is amazing. We've also got a bottle of Eagle Rare from Buffalo Trace, which is one of my favorite distilleries and then we also have what is that white bo- that clear bottle in there I don't this is white dog this is what this is basically moonshine it's oh. it's what they put in be- before uh they put it into the barrels 125 proof yeah uh, actually so when we went to uh the buffalo trace distillery uh they gave that to us before they even got it down it was uh 140 proof when i remember they gave it to i it. remembered you tell me about oh that. It, this and, is so good uh, i made a uh, i actually made a special trip up to bowling green to get all of that wow th- I, um, I don't even know what to say because uh well i've 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 told um I may have told Mike about this, but uh, you guys, you and Jason, both found me at kind of at a uh, at a really good at a, a really good time, and um, it was um, it's been probably one of the most fun things to do. Uh, that is to um, I didn't think I'd ever run OTF. Well, I didn't think I would ever even like do anything regarding on regarding SP Nation, and uh, it has been one of the most fun rides of my life uh, so far to this point to be able to uh, you know to do some of the fun things with you and Jason, and um, it's going to be something that. Uh, 
uh, I'm going to look back on is when I'm like some old, when we're all old men drinking at the bowling alley. Yeah. The, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what the, uh, the OTF uh, fan base and readers and everything like that are going to be so lucky to have you at the helm um, and, you know, getting people on and everything like that. So, I mean, I, uh, and to, to spoil the, uh, the article that I'm going to be publishing in a little bit, cause it's going to be published by the time everyone listens to this. Uh, but uh, this is, probably been one of the biggest uh, decisions of my life to uh, run the uh, uh, run the site and if I hadn't sent an email to Dirk uh, several years ago just to be an unpaid contributor uh, I would be in a totally different place as far as life goes I wouldn't have the job that I'm going to be starting next week at all um, it, this, it's, it's a very hard thing for me to walk away from but ultimately just the way that things are lining up I, I can't I can't turn down the opportunity ahead of me um, and it's it's gonna suck to leave, but it is what it is. And I'm glad that you guys have been around. And I wish that I would. I'm gonna be. I wish I could have been uh, been here to chat about the playoffs and everything like that. But we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that we'll definitely see how it goes. The door's open for that. But we'll just see how the scheduling is. Definitely. So, but that's from uh, that's from the whole crew. Oh, thank um, you guys so much. A, um, wow. I uh, just kind of want to know that we have appreciate it. This whole week I've been absolutely stressing over kind of what's going to happen at post-John, but uh, we may have an announcement coming on that soon. Um, and you know I'm always around. I'm not disappearing off the face of the earth. No, so. it's not like you're going to delete your Twitter and just, a, you know, fade into a, a blibbery. No, in fact, I want people to follow <laughs> me more on that one because I, I haven't been doing a whole lot on that Twitter just because I've been doing the OTF one a lot, but during the playoffs and everything like that, at me fools. Where he at, though? Where no. he went, Yeah. <laughs> I'll be bringing my gift game to to my Jay Garcia. Got it. Jay, uh, what's it again now? Jay Garcia three six. Jay Garcia three. I was worried if you just changed it then. Just no, like, oh no, I've been promoting the wrong Twitter account <laughs> all this time. All right, you can follow Link and I on Twitter. Link is at three D Link. Myself, Matt Dandy Bradley. Uh, you can follow the show at On the Four Check. Uh, anything else before we close the book on this one? No. Busy week ahead. Four games. Busy week ahead. We so. have four. Ah, oh, man, I'm sorry. I nearly did it again. Uh, about where I just completely forgot to scale, go over the schedule real quick. Uh, Avs uh, on the let's see, the they clinch a playoff spot tomorrow. They clinch a playoff spot tomorrow night. Then they go to Dallas on Tuesday for a back to back. They got the Penguins on Thursday. That game's going to be on NHL Network. Kind of cool. Uh, Saturday night they uh, host the Sharks as well. So two at home, two on the road, back to back. Given how great they've been playing and given their competition this week, if they go two and two, I'm okay with it. I accept I it. I don't care what they do as as, as long as they clinch a playoff spot tomorrow or uh, whenever. I love seeing the Avs lose. Yeah, I'm all for it. Oh, I, I watched the the Minnesota Wild oh, the ten, uh, the game. Ten minute pull goaltender. Yeah, I, I was having so much fun. I love it. It's like that's the first time I've had fun watching a Minnesota Wild game ever. Probably. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it takes something bizarre like that to, to draw Minnesota out of their shell a little bit. Um, Stars game, you know, that, that one's kind of a little bit, that one scares me a little bit just because you're probably going to have Carter Hutton playing against the Dallas Stars. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. But uh, this is a pretty wounded Stars team. Um, we're going to see them again, too, uh, the close up the season. Both games are in Dallas. Again, if they go 2-2 two and two this week, I'm okay with it. But um, Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with 2-2. Two two. I'm mm-hmm. happy. But John, uh, thank you very much for what you've done. Uh, you've uh, you've definitely been a uh, we're definitely going to miss you on this program. I'm going to miss being on it. So thank you very much for, for uh, extending the invitation to get on the season. It's been it's been a blast. Oh. Seriously, good deal. On that note, everybody, we'll talk to you next week and uh, try to enjoy your week. Oh, 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 oh